so how has things been then? Just things are going Cassidy well. Lucas. Yeah, things are going well, thank you. How's things over at your end? Um, I'm working from home now, literally from home. So not even going to the office. It's weird. Yeah, second lockdown. How does it feel second. to just not get fresh air anymore, Carl? It's not ideal, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, the um, the perk of my morning commute being 30 seconds. Yeah. Or even less, all I need to do is stand up. So that te- depending on how well I feel, standing up can take anywhere from five seconds to a minute, <laughs> depending <laughs> on how hungover I am. But that's now my morning commute is outweighed by the fact I look outside and just like, um, uh, just sad black and white uh, against the window. Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> It's like, so yeah, we're recording this in second lockdown. Because you know what? One lockdown wasn't enough for the British public. I can't wait for fourth lockdown, Carl. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going to turn, Joe, I'm going to turn 30 in two months. And I'll have not been outside for more than an hour. Yeah. In like nine months. Yeah, and I did see as well, like, I, I don't know whether this is worth, like, you know, a little starting topic for the day, but... Go for I, it. I saw, um, you know, my family obviously chatting about like, well, what's going to happen for Christmas, blah, blah, blah. I saw there's like rumours at the moment, it's not confirmed, that they are going to allow groups of like up to four households to meet between like December 24th and 8th, I think I saw them talking about. Oh, what a great idea. And it's like, oh, so A, a really bad idea to just spread coronavirus rapid as fuck. Oh, but yeah. B, that is a middle finger to anybody that isn't Christian. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Because I was thinking about like um, uh, Eid. Yeah, like the, no other religions Eid. got any sort of um, relax on lockdown so they could see their family. Yeah. And what about people who are fasting and stuff like that mm-hmm. for Eid and things like that? It's just, it's just huge, huge um, slap in the face. Yeah, and like, um, I believe, like, you know, things like Hanukkah as well, uh, that'll just have been completely ignored. Uh, yeah, it's it's just bad. It's not ideal, is it? And uh, welcome to episode 56 of this, um, uh, um, this is theoretically a comedy podcast. A joke <laughs> I've made before, but it's not. It it. It's not stopped being funny yet. Which is ironic, considering we've not been funny in a while. Uh, on a lighter note, then, it's hilarious to me that a PS5 is meant to be getting delivered to us tomorrow and we've not heard anything about it yet. The only reason I knew PS5 was like for British people. So to date this podcast, the PlayStation 5 is out in uh, America. In the Japan. day this podcast comes out, it's out in the UK as well. Okay, and um, the only reason I knew it was being released today or tomorrow, I didn't know, I just knew around this time, mm-hmm. is because on Twitter... Hermes was trending, and if people don't know, uh, <laughs> Hermes is a British parcel delivery service, and it is so famously bad that the only reason it's trending is because everyone's like, I'm not getting a PS5. I've ordered one, Hermes has told me it's out for delivery, I fully expect them to drop it down the fucking stairs. And it's incredible to me how many Hermes slips I've had. Like, when I've been waiting and listening out for the door without the TV on or anything... And then you just, a slip comes through the door. You weren't here. You weren't in. It's like, I'm the most in I've ever been. It's like, are you fucking for real? Like, I've literally been staring down my door in anticipation. And you just send through the little note. I'm not here. It's like, oh, God. Um, the one that I like is, um, f- for me, my, I ordered some headphones the other day. 
Mm-hmm. Because my headphones broke out of nowhere. I'm like, God damn it, I bought some new headphones. Oh, and they arrived the next day, but I didn't know they'd arrive the next day because the guy left them not perched outside my door because it's like a little alcove. Mm. So imagine you open your door and like behind your door is like a wall. Yeah. So you don't see like where the wall is, do you? Because you're opening the door and then you shut it and you, I walk off the opposite way to get exactly, out. Exactly, yeah. And so I walked out and then came back and it's just like, went for my jog without my headphones, come back in as my headphones there. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> right there it's oh god damn it fucking Amazon which for me is that delivery service in the UK are so famously bad like one of the vi- viral videos in our country was that like Tesco delivery driver did you see him just absolutely launching everything into the back of his truck oh no <laughs> do you see that one no oh man uh, it's a delivery truck throwing I think it was a, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what it was but um it went viral the other day just on Twitter mm. and it was just some guy was filming from like a flat window and went, oh yeah, here's just um, a guy just absolutely hurling packages directly into the back of the truck as hard as he can. Oh God. And I think it was like, it was uh, Tesco or like Hermes or someone like that. Yeah. And I saw that gif going around today of like, oh, here's your Hermes delivery driver with your PS5s. <laughs> oh God. And I had like, not even a bad delivery service today. Just unfortunate timing of like, I made myself a nice like grilled cheese sandwich. And, um, okay. I did it American style for once. I didn't make a toasty, made an actual grilled cheese. Oh, I had and... a grilled cheese sandwich today, actually. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> I just like, we had like four slices of bread left, and I want to make myself a toasty. <laughs> and the annoying thing was, the slice of bread that were left had a hole in them. Oh, no. So, that, so I couldn't make my toasty. It's like, nah, get down. So I went out and bought more bread. Uh, but yeah, like I oh sat God, down at my desk, and the moment I picked up the first foot, like piece, I, I half bit into it, and the knock at the door, I was like, "Oh, okay, right, go downstairs, get the package, come back up the stairs, and again, bite and knock on the door." I was like, "Are you fucking for real?" And it's a different Amazon delivery driver with another package. I was like, "I just want to eat my sandwich." It's the worst. That's that's though when you get that absolutely um, uh, legendary review on Just Eat of a pizza restaurant where it's like, the pizza said it'd be here in 20 minutes and it actually arrived in 10, which was ideal except for the fact I was balls deep in the missus at the time. <laughs> it's like that amazing review. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, oh, God, I fucking love that one. <laughs> I don't just, think that could be solved. I, I just feel so bad for all people who order PlayStation 5s and they've got to like, depend on like DPS to deliver it. I love the people. Like, or D- is it DDP? I forget the name uh, of it. What's DPD. That? DPD, that terrible delivery service. Cause they yeah. were the guys who um, uh, fucked up so hard. Like, oh, Nando's were out of chicken. <laughs> yeah. Remember? Do you want to tell that story? You worked at Nando's at the time, so you, you'll know more about this than me. Uh, I don't know like specifically that story. But, like, we we had it happen in our restaurant before where, like, oh, the delivery driver spent about six hours on the phone getting lost trying to find the entrance, like, where they're meant to drive in to the shopping centre to, like, get to, um, you know, the lifts to bring it up to us and that. Mm. Oh, so, I've, so I found the story here. It wasn't D, it was DHL. Oh, uh, that was DHL. DHL. I was going to say, DP... Hey. DPD normally like would do smaller stuff, I suppose. Because we have a yeah. So DHL is a um, uh, British delivery company, and um, KFC and indeed a bunch of fast food restaurants, including Nando's and Taco Bell, I believe, mm-hmm. um, changed their supplier. 
Oh, really? I don't know who they changed it from, but they changed it from this old company to DHL. Ah, okay. Um, because DHL undercut the previous contract. Mm-hmm. And DHL were so bad and bodged the job so much, KFCs across the UK ran out of chicken. Yeah. And I think it was like a week and a half where they just had no chicken in KFC. Oh, really? Because like, it was bad enough when we had one day where this delivery driver, yeah, it took like six, seven hours to get into an entrance... And it, we had no chicken, and it was just a nightmare. We had to keep the restaurant open without a fucking bit of chicken. Mm-hmm. And my favourite thing about it is, is the amount of people who were complaining of, like, it's fucking disgusting. I, I, I want to go to KFC to get some chicken. And the one I remember distinctly is a lady being interviewed, went, it's fucking disgusting, this. Now I've got to go to Burger King. <laughs> like, really mad. It's like, oh, as if it's, like, a bad thing that you've, like... Is One how... of my 18 options has been taken away from me. I'm so angry. This, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to a person. My favourite thing about this story is um, DHL, um, uh, like obviously fucked all the way up. And KFC, prior to doing this, they, um, I think they bought out of their old contract with the old people, like the old the previous company. I'm not sure who it was. I think it might, be, it might have been someone else. Let's have a look. DHL one actually. I want to find out who it is they took over because this is like an amazing addendum to the but story. But they like spent money to get out of the contract so they could go with DHL. Is that what you're yes. saying? Yeah. So da, 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 da. oh here we go. So it broke um, with its uh, previous one, which is Bidvest Logistics. Ah yeah, Bidvest. And, it, and it replaced yeah, them yeah. with DHL and Bidvest. Um, as you might imagine, were kind of pissed off that they lost one of their biggest contracts. Like. Mm-hmm. Every KFC restaurant in the UK to the tune of, of nearly a thousand locations. Oh, God. Um, they were bought out of doing this. And DHL undercut them. DHL absolutely fucked up on the logistics because they didn't do any research into how to actually deliver chicken to KFC. <laughs> and they didn't know where they got their uh, their chicken from and they didn't know how to plan the routes to like, you know, deliver properly. Do you know who did know how to do that? Was it Bidvest? It was Bidvest, yes. And when this like, crisis was happening, bear in mind, KFC had no chicken for a week. Oh, like, and you think how much money KFC makes in a day from one restaurant. Now imagine all 900 are closed for a week. Yeah. Yeah. So they were very, very keen to it. So they called up Bidvest and asked them, um, do you have all your supply routes and information that we can give to DHL and what Bidvest said? I mean, probably fuck off. Yeah, they said no. They said, oh, no. Oh, sorry. Oh, we deleted all that. Oh, no, we haven't got any of that information. I guess you'll have to stick with DHL. It's like, oh, well, you're no longer our client. We got rid of that info. Immediately, yes. So what they had to do is... (laughs) KFC brought DHL back on for the same same money they were being paid previously. Oh, God, no. Oh, that's rough. They they lost a shit ton of money, bought out of a contract, and they just had to fucking pay up anyway. And here's like a recap from Wired. So KFC moved distributors at the end of last year, choosing DHL over its long-term partner, Bidvest. On February 14th, the day DHL took over, um, several factors, including DHL's inexplicable decision to use a single depot <laughs> to deliver all the chicken from, caused a massive backup deliveries because there was a crash right outside that depot. Oh, God. So they couldn't do any deliveries. And when they asked, do you have a contingency plan? They said no. And the best thing is, Carl, like that was on February 14th. So people missed out on their Valentine's KFC trip. Which is something people do do. Yeah. Because I think it's like uh, younger people, like our generation, and like so millennials and Gen Z, mm-hmm. uh, they don't really buy into that the romance aspect of. Um, I know, like, like personally, uh, Jenna and I just. 
are like, fuck it, Valentine's Day is like a scam. We're not making a big deal out of it. Yeah, we're not going to go to a restaurant or something. So you just do the usual, like, get a takeaway or something like that. If that. To us, it's just normally like a regular day. Mm. But I I would say the only time I would say is just to order a takeaway or something. Yeah, at most. I'm not going to pay three times the price to go to a fucking restaurant. Although I have been tempted to go, before I found out they were evil, go to Weatherspoons. (laughs) <laughs> so remember that Weatherspoons did a £10 Valentine's Day deal that people were making fun of. Mm. They were getting made fun of. Oh, the £10 Valentine's Day deal. Imagine like not loving your girlfriend that much. It's like, this is going to be a great thing for you know, people who don't have a lot of money and kids. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is going to be a great one for like you know young teenagers who are having dates. It's like, it gives them a tenner and they can go and they can have like a full sit-down meal. Mm. It's like, God, I hate when stuff like that happens. When there's like a cheaper option for something and then it gets made fun of. It's like, but not everyone can afford this. Well, it's like literally right now uh, we're talking, you know, food, but like the Xbox has just come out and people are making fun of like the cheap Xbox. So I was going to use that as a jumping off point of this. um, Not everyone has like the disposable income to waste on like something like, you know, this um, extravagant. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So I was going to say, speaking of which, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox one, so... New consoles coming out. Yeah. You're getting the PS5, yes? Yeah, we're getting the PS5, yeah. Yeah, and it should be delivered tomorrow. Yeah. You're mentioning, though, there's a cheaper alternative. So should we set the scene for maybe people who don't follow gaming news? Uh, Yeah, so, like, the new Xbox has also, uh, like, just launched uh, last week. Mm -hmm. So that did, like, a global launch all on November the 10th in the countries that that applies to. And... um, yeah, they have, like, the Xbox Series S and X. The X is, like, the premium version. Yeah, uh, the the full, like, the 4K monolith, like, the £450 slash $500 machine. And yeah, so let's... Joe, yeah. we can check this right now. Let's just get a just a cost um, uh, comparison for these things. So X, well, uh, Xbox Series the, X. Yeah, the Xbox Series X is $500 or £449. And then... Uh, again, it's like three hundred dollars or two hundred and fifty pounds for the Series S, which is the smaller version. Yeah, um, so I have it here, like a Xbox Series X. It's um, trending between four and five hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Series S is trending, as you said, a bit cheaper, like a hundred to one hundred fifty pounds cheaper. Uh, a lot of money the to a lot the of retail price is two hundred pounds cheaper. Yeah, but I'm looking like. They're all out of stock, so I'm looking. These are like um, scalping prices. Yeah, yeah. Even then, it's still trending at like like two thirds the price. Mm-hmm. So yeah, significantly cheaper, and um, again, like nearly half the price if you take the um, like the RRP of it. Mm-hmm. And then if we go just uh, like all the peripherals cost the same, but like you know what, that's a couple hundred pounds saved. Not like a couple hundred pounds is not an insignificant amount of money. No, no, definitely not. And there's a similar thing with the PlayStation, which um, you've got the again the monolithic PlayStation, mm-hmm. like five to six hundred pounds. I'm uh, looking at when I see it on here. So I think the retail price, retail price is a, like oh, is it like four hundred and fifty pounds in the UK, and then the digital edition is a hundred pound cheaper. It's looking like that, yeah. What I can see. Um, from when I can see like you know the out of stock options as opposed to the eBay option which is like upwards of a grand yeah because that's the issue is like I've been like listening and watching a lot of content but most of it's American so they're always talking dollar price yeah well that's where you just go for the thing if it's dollars to pounds you always just convert it straight because yeah 
that's that's the thing we do. If it's four hundred fifty dollars, I mean, it's four hundred fifty pounds here. But I'm actually surprised long... that yeah, we did get like a fifty pound savings at very least from the dollar version. Mm, but the long and short of it is, is that for each of these consoles, there is a slightly cheaper option that is all digital, and it's and especially with the Xbox Series S, uh, there's a couple of caveats that you don't get four K, is it? Uh, yeah. So the machine will still like perform the same graphical like tricks like ray tracing and the higher frame rates but the caveat is that it will only do 1080p whereas the xbox series x like the 200 pound more expensive one will do 4k yeah and something and let me clarify here is that 4k um it's a lot of people have heard about it but i'm guessing a lot of people don't know what it is um if unless you the statistic i have seen is unless you are sat 50 centimeters away from a 4k screen Mm -hmm. or it's 80 inches wide so right, an yeah. average 32 to 40 inch screen, you need to sit 50 centimetres away to see it. Mm-hmm. If it's 80 inches wide, then you can go above. So basically, you need one of the most expensive consumer-grade televisions on the market today yeah. to sit the same distance, the average distance most people sit from their television when playing video games, which is about one to two metres, unless you have a 4K monitor, for like a PC mm-hmm. or something like that, in which case you'll be sat the um, aforementioned 50 centimetres away. So not only is 4K something that's incredibly in many cases, prohibitively expensive, it is literally, you literally cannot tell the difference unless you are sat so close to your screen yeah. um, that it will, that you need to either have a, a, a purpose-built setup for it or you are, like, uncomfortably close. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm not sure about you, but I don't have my, like, sofa 50 centimetres away from my television. No, and that's the thing is, like, when you're looking at um, graphics comparisons now... It's like, oh, but if you zoom off into the distance of this scene, you can see, like, the the 1080p version is, like, a little bit jagged here. Which, I guess, some people... Apparently, a lot of people, um, I guess, that the term vocal minority comes to play here, like, are really, really critical of. Yeah, and I've seen, as well, that, like, a statistic bouncing about this year because of the new consoles was only about a third of people have got any 4k option in the house at all mm-hmm. and i think i do i think one of my tvs is 4k ready mm-hmm. but i don't have anything that can play it yeah and uh you even said like you your girlfriend works for playstation yeah so she works for sony she has access to the sony store mm-hmm. with discounts you said you could not even find a 4k television that like so what's this it's 4k and 60 frames isn't it yeah so you literally could not find an option to play the consoles uh not any sort of like budget option that was at the time bear in mind with her like staff discount it was like less than uh, we were looking like anything less than like you know maybe seven six hundred pounds for a brand new tv with discount and they still weren't doing like 4k 60 on those tvs Uh, which i think is just a good way of highlighting that this is an option that um a minority of users of these new consoles will even give a shit about let alone be able to access yeah and yet so many people are shitting on the budget option because it doesn't have 4k something we've just established you will virtually never be able to see anyway unless you have an incredibly specific or prohibitively expensive setup yeah because even as you mentioned like even if you do have that expensive 4k tv that can run like the 4k 60 whatnot like You've got to be sitting so close to your TV to notice the difference from that and 1080p. 
Mm. Or it's got to be 80 inches wide. Exactly, yeah. And again, and that's we... talking like thousands of pounds on a TV at that point. Mm-hmm, which is money that a lot of people don't have. And we've talked before, like on the podcast and in playthroughs that we do that, I'm real. we're both really happy that these budget options exist. Yes. While they're not something we personally um, need to consider because, you know, we're young, we have disposable income, we don't really have many, like anything, any dependents, children, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to know that that option exists for people out there who are not in a, a fortunate position. Then you get people um, who are just like, but I don't care. Because they have they yeah. have no ability to empathise with people who aren't in their exact situation, so they don't see why these options that cost less money should exist. And in fact, will actively make fun of people for having to like go with the cheaper option. Oh, yeah. you don't get four K. It's like, but I don't care, and they can't understand why people don't care about having four K. So, well, that's not an important thing to me. I just want to play the box. And as much as I think these um, systems are really good, I will actually. I, I don't know if you've heard. Um, of this like caveat with the cheap option um so the xbox series s um, i think is great i think it's very very um good for the price point but the storage on it is roughly uh 364 gigabytes when like the operating system is taken into account oh that's gonna happen with everything though it's super um but <laughs> annoying the and that, that that's like one of those things about oh right okay well yeah, I guess that'll fit, like, half a dozen games on it or so, depending on what no. you're playing. Like, Call of Duty, you'll fit, like, two of them on there. You won't even fit two, mate. It's, like, 200 gig at the moment. Yeah, and um, so, yeah, you'll, you'll fit anywhere between, like, two and ten games on there. But any um, expandable storage for the system won't work apart from the, like, £200 terabyte expandable like xbox storage that they're selling at the moment which is again an issue for like for some people that doesn't matter it's like oh yeah i'm gonna buy that because i want to have the best possible thing for me but my my mind always goes to well what about kids what about single parent households Mm -hmm. where they have like one or two kids and they want to play this so the, the example we use for this is always like controllers yeah where like a controller for the new Xbox and the new PlayStation, you're looking at like 60, 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. So you spend two, so three to 400 pounds on a console. Yeah. You buy a game at another 70 quid. And then if you want like your kids to be like FIFA on that day, you then have to pay another 70 pounds for a controller. And I, I, I will always distinctly recall when we talked about this on stream and you were talking about like Joy-Cons or something like that. Yes, yeah. And you talked about how they cost like 50, 60 pounds each. And a guy just threw out, why don't you just buy another one? It's like... Yeah, because I think your I was saying, um, oh, well, I've bought like eight Joy-Cons and half of them have issues with the sticks. And that's not and really it, an acceptable number. And people are just like, oh, buy more. It's like, they're 70 pounds a pair. And it's like, how fucking just far removed from the average person's experience are you where just your answer to this problem is just spend another £70. And the thing is, I've done that already and it's still not solved my problem because as I've mentioned, I've got like eight and half of them are failing on me. Like, I've tried the solution of buy more and it's still not helping the problem. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, that's obviously a different like conversation, but just the idea that people in their heads are like, well, just spend this much money. Yeah. And like when we talk about um, the consoles and next gen on stream... Every time we've ever done it, someone will always come in and sort of just buy a PC. And our argument has always been the same off. Like, 
the fuck is your problem when your like solution is, is just spend another two and a half grand on a custom made piece of technology? Yeah, and, um, and the fact that they never seem to see that. Of course, like, yeah, that is a preferable option. You do get more on paper, but spending that amount of money, this prohibitive amount of money, is not an option everybody has. And then they'll always say, "Oh, but you can build a decent PC for like three to four hundred pounds." Like, not everyone has that level of knowledge to be able to do that. Or access to someone who has the knowledge that does that, and they never seem to like get it through their head that not everybody is you. Well, I found it really funny when I tweeted out like, "Oh, some people are, um, you know, saying that a fifteen hundred pound graphics card is like going to be so much better than the PlayStation Five and the Series X." <laughs> and it's amazing, like, yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> but not only that, I was like, you've then got to build the rest of the PC. And every reply I got from Smarmy PC people were, yeah, but everybody already has the PC to just put the graphics card in. No, they don't. That, are you I've that do- fucking dense? So I've got a PC right now. It costs about eight, nine hundred pounds. Yeah, like rendering and editing and stuff. My PC couldn't like fit that graphics card in it because it physically would not fit inside the case that I have. That's the thing is like when I bought a new graphics card. I then had to buy a new case and a new motherboard. And it was like, oh, great, okay. So this, like, Val, well, I saw, like, a deal on a graphics card and just bought it without doing the research, which is my mistake. But, yeah, it turns out I can't just slot in the new graphics card. I had to adapt half of my PC to then work with that graphics card. And I had to buy, like, a new power output as well. Which, in addition to like, costing you money, costs you time, and requires a certain level of technical know-how, which not everybody has. Yeah, because I had to and, put all those parts in the PC. And I am consistently baffled, because this happens, I think, literally every time we have ever streamed together. Mm-hmm. This conversation will come up, and people will talk about, or brag about having a PC. Yeah. And my point has always been the same every single time, and it is to sarcastically say, from that person, like pretend to be that person with, wow, my thousand pound custom made piece of technology is better than your 200 pound rectangle. Yeah. And it's like, of course it fucking is. And no one ever seems to get to that. Not everybody needs that level of graphical fidelity. Not everybody needs to be able to play their games on the highest thing. Some people just want to play the video game. They want to put a disc into a rectangle that they know is going to work for the next 10 years. And that's always been um, the reason that I've been a console gamer is because it's A, a lot just simpler to use like the ease of use is incredible and you just put a disc in and it works and b yeah the the developers are going to make sure for the next like five to ten years every game works on that box and just the the fact that people can't seem to get through their head that like graphics or what what have you don't matter to other people as much as it does to them and something a point that you made that i found quite interesting is that Every time that's ever come up, it always comes up from someone who says it unannounced. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll just talk about the fact, oh, we're having fun playing Smash Bros. Yeah. or whatever. And someone else come in and go, oh, I'm a PC gamer myself. And we always respond like, we don't care. <laughs> like, we're having so much fun playing on our, like, Switches. This is great. I don't care if you play on PC. Mm-hmm. And all, but like, you know, fair to... play. Great for you, but whatever. But they feel the need to insert into the conversation that, oh, but my... Th- my box is better than your rectangle. It's like, I, I couldn't give less of a shit, mate. And I guess that's similar to, like, people really give a shit about console wars, is it's just, I have to justify my money that was spent. Yeah, I have to justify my decision. Mm-hmm. And to do that, one of the easiest ways to do that is to just find the one thing it does better than the thing that you like and then just never shut the fuck up about yeah. it. 
Uh, but like speaking of oh, um, just people not or seemingly not getting um, just the fact that like, they are in such a, a weirdly privileged position. There's a, a video I saw uh, making the rounds on Twitter a couple of days ago, and it was the uh, the streamer and YouTuber Critical. Are you familiar with him at all? Um, not off the top of my head, no. You'd recognise he has a very distinctive voice. Okay. So he's one of those who's been in it a long time, and there was a video of him spending like thousands and thousands of dollars on Pokemon cards. Right. And he was like, so that's a big trend on YouTube now and on Twitch, because um, original series Pokemon cards are going for mad amounts of money, mm-hmm. and because there's a limited stock of official unopened packs and booster packs left, people are buying those in droves for wildly inflated prices and then opening them on stream. And like, and I can speak personally to this as a friend of mine who recently he had three not mint condition. I don't know what grade he had them, but they were somewhat decent grade original hollow foil Charizards that he sold for a thousand pounds each. In oh the last right, okay. Weeks, so he's made himself three grand selling Charizards. Man, I'm, I'm just looking at my little deck of Pokemon cards that I I cherry picked out of my collection to keep. Hmm. I'm just like, hmm. You might have some value in there because what he did is um, a couple of... He's been one of those people who he buys job lots of Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, uh, Magic the Gathering cards, and he sorts through them and then he sells them individually. Right, yeah, and yeah. One of the things he did. And he was telling me like two or three years ago, those Charizards were valued at like 150. Mm-hmm. If that. And now like they're going for a couple of grand each. And some of it is speculatory. Yes. Because like people are seeing these videos and clips and streams and news articles. Oh, a Charizard goes for 10 grand. Mm-hmm. And they're just going on eBay, seeing one for two grand and buying it. Not even not realising that maybe it's not going to be worth as much as the other one was because maybe it's not as high quality. But people think in their head Charizard equals this amount of money from this headline they saw. Yeah. Uh, and I managed to capitalise on that. I experienced this with a Yu-Gi-Oh card that I had that at one point um, was listed as like, anywhere between like a hundred pounds and unvalued um depending on like you know the serial number from what box it was from is it gets really into specifics of like well if it's from this set then it's not technically rare so the same card might not have the same value but which is what's happening with pokemon cards and my friend he can speak more about that than i can but he was telling me like this one i know it's not worth like Maybe with the current value of the market, I could get 500 quid for it, but people are so desperate to get in on the hype, and because they're seeing these headlines about these wildly inflated prices, yeah. they're willing to take the risk that I'm not, and that is to buy it for two grand in the hopes they can flip it to somebody else for like maybe three, four, five grand. And it's like, I know I'm not going to do that, yeah. but if they want to be stupid enough to take that risk, exactly, they can be my guest, and it's like they're getting exactly what they paid for. But yeah, I am... Um... My Yu-Gi-Oh card that I was talking about, like, that was the one that was on, like, the highest end of the, the value. And mm-hmm. technically, it like, when I was looking into it, it's like, people were saying online, like, that card can go for, like, 10 grand, as you said, like, 5, 10 grand. And I was like, holy shit. So I just played it safe and was like, I'm going to put this on eBay for a grand and just see what happens. And mm-hmm. I put it up there for, like, three weeks or something. Not like one watch, not one sniff at it, because like not one nibble. Those those people can claim, oh yeah, that card is worth this amount, but is there anyone willing to actually buy them that for that amount? Yeah, and that's what my friend talks about with the Pokemon card. He says mm-hmm. it was worth valued at a hundred, and people were willing to pay it for a hundred. Yeah, but then when figures like a couple of thousand pounds started getting thrown around, no one was willing to pay it until you had people like I think it's Logan Paul. Yeah, yeah. 
um, hiring a Pokemon card expert. This is a real thing that he's done. Oh my god! To advise him on buy investing, not by investing in um, Generation One Pokemon cards, right? Yeah, which caused a new speculators market, which has um, just caused this like raised interest in it. So it's um, even though it was technically valued at being like a couple of grand a while ago, mm-hmm. um, due to like you know the market became more and more um, the actual pool of available. Charizards and stuff being rarer. Yeah. Or smaller, sorry. And no one's willing to pay it. But now that there's a lot of attention on this, um, more people are willing to part with that amount of money for the risk. Yes. Because people now no longer see it as collecting, they see it as investing. That's different. And let's bring it back to this critical streamer guy. He was on stream um, just spending like literally thousands of dollars on Pokemon cards. Oh, okay. And it ended up on the front page of Reddit. And um, it was, I think it went on to like cringe or something like that because it shows. A person ostensibly spending thousands of dollars yes. on children's toys. Mm-hmm. But um, that guy made a response video to it during which he casually dropped, um, oh, it's not like it looks like a lot of money, but I earn $70,000 a month from Twitch. Holy shit. And, like, you know, it's like good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, the idea of just casually dropping, I earn $70,000, and, and by extension, I'm happy to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars on Pokemon cards yeah. to create content for people online. And I can't help, and it's like, oh my God, like, I don't, I can't even comprehend being so far removed from, like, you know, just everyday life that spending what for some people is what more than they earn in a year. Yeah, yeah. On Pokemon cards and then earning more than some people earn in t- like a decade per month and not even having that be like the bulk of what you earn because that's just from subs and stuff like that right yeah and so like well played to them but at the same time just that amount of money flying around and people just wasting it especially during a pandemic mm-hmm. it's, it's like the other thing of like it's a more um like localized example of people like jeff bezos um like adding to his wealth like making billions of dollars or adding billions of dollars worth of um, capital to his own wealth mm-hmm. um, during like a period of um, record economic downturn. I mean, you know, maybe Jeff Bezos is like another level of it because not only that, but then he has like employees that he treats like pieces of shit and fires oh, during yeah. it and blah, blah, blah. It um, does much worse than just bragging about like earning a lot of money, but yeah. Well, that was the thing. It wasn't even a brag. It was just the thing of, oh, it, it's not, it looks like I'm like, you know, spending it because I think it was answering calls that he's addicted Right, yeah. It's like, oh, well, spend, like, cause it looks like someone, when you see someone dropping thousands of pounds on something, mm-hmm. you think, oh, they're spending their life savings. And he was just like, no, it's like, no, not even a fraction of what I earn in a month. Right, yeah. But at the same time, just to be able to like, so casually just throw away thousands of dollars on something that's so trivial. Well, the... um, And then for that to be turned into performative content, I don't know how to feel about Well, that. the extreme end of it is like, that's how Mr. Beast makes his money on YouTube, isn't it? Of like... Yeah, he's... A game show, ostensibly. Yeah, it's I give away money to, or I, you know, I am worth a lot of money to get more views and make more money. And it's like, it's that weird cycle of he makes money by spending money. And he makes so much that he can't give it away fast enough. But he just, there's something about the idea of like performative wasting of money, which draws more eyeballs to you and makes you more money than you wasted, but the idea that you have to like throw away an, a, a life-changing amount of money 
and can do it so casually. I've always wondered about that. And I mean, I guess, like, fair play to somebody um, that I used as an example, like Mr. Beast, where it's at least uh, from what I've seen, like, the bigger videos that blow up are I'm giving people, like, amounts of money or cars and things like that. That are life-changing, yeah. Rather than spending on Pokemon cards. But it, it just... I do wonder at how you get to a point like that. It is crazy, I yeah. I earn decent money from YouTube... And, like, my girlfriend can confirm the other day we went shopping and I got excited because I saw that Heinz beans and sausages were on sale for 79 pence instead of a pound. But and I'm I think that's how, a matter of how, mentality and not earnings. Maybe, but I'm thinking, though, at what point could I get to where I would be... Or what, what would it take for me to get to a point where I'm dropping thousands of pounds on Pokemon cards? Like, at what like point is Carl going to have enough money that he's going to fill his entire flat with baked beans for one YouTube video. Yeah, and I'm thinking, like, at what point do you get to, and how do you, like, is it gradual? See, it has to be gradual, so there's no way, no, someone can't just go from that to that. Surely you can't just like, flip one a switch and become one extreme to the other, yeah. And I would, I'm fascinated by the idea that, um, like, content creators and stuff like that can go, because so almost every single one of them started right at the bottom. I don't think there's a single successful YouTuber who didn't start making videos in their bedroom. Um, no, but I'm sure, like, didn't, didn't the Paul brothers, like, didn't their family have a lot of money? There are some and stuff like, like that, but for the most part, they, yeah, it's just a bunch of, like, money as they have now. a bunch of idiots in their bedroom starting out making videos, for the most part. And I just, and I just find myself thinking, like, how does one get from where I am now? Because I think I still think of myself as being, like, very... Uh, money conscious, and like I said, I'll go out of my way to like to save money where I can. I mean, Carl, you've but got would... full loop. You're making bed like videos back in your bedroom. I am, yeah. And I'm thinking, what point would what would it take for me to get to the point where I can happily drop ten thousand dollars on a Pokemon card? Yeah, for a joke. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, and not have it be something that bothers me. It is crazy, and as you say, like I think it is just a gradual thing, and you. You probably don't notice it happening until you've gotten to that extreme level, but and that's why I get scared that's going to happen to me because I look at like you know uh, more minor examples that like we talked about of people just casually um, like disregarding like say a hundred pounds mm-hmm. like the difference between one of the consoles of like oh well a hundred pounds isn't that much money it's like it fucking is yeah to so many people that is a huge amount of money and I don't know what it takes me to get to a point where I can so casually and flippantly just disregard it. Yeah, yeah. And I do wonder about the mentality of people who do. And I like I worry about like, the morality of it, mm-hmm. of how um, good a person you can really be if you don't truly understand the value of the money you're throwing away or using. Yeah, yeah, sure. Which is probably me just thinking too much about it. Maybe a bit of both. Like, I, I agree with you, but you sound like you're um, on way more like the existential crisis end of the spectrum. Yeah. Movie. Well, I think of it like when I worked in a bar and I'd see people um, dropping two, three hundred pounds a bottle, uh, two hundred, three hundred pounds on like champagne and stuff like that, just to spray it around the club to show off how rich they are. Mm. And looking at that as a student who's being paid six pounds an hour. Yeah. And you look at it and you just think, God, what a fucking prick. Like literally rubbing the amount of money he has in my face, pouring it down the sink, yeah. as it were. And then you fast forward a couple of years' time, and I'm like, you know, in a similar spot where I'm in the YouTube industry, and I see people metaphorically pissing away thousands of dollars, and it's depressing. It is. 
Like and, and fair play to those people, as we've said, like they've no, they've they, they, cornered some kind of market, or hustled, you know basically. they've hustled, and I I think as long as you're not doing you know something to hurt other people, then fair play. But that's when you get into the end of like scalpers, isn't it? Of like spending ten thousand dollars to buy a bunch of PS5s to then flip them for double the price. Like they can go fuck themselves. Yeah, which is something I've seen with. Uh... Uh, specifically like you know to combine these two things of content creators of content creators just buying multiple ps5s to ensure that they get one on release day to make content and then just keeping them or like you know giving them to friends and stuff like that yeah and it's the same thing. It's like, oh but i need it for my job it's like but do you need five it's like, no but i need to make sure i got one mm-hmm. and it's like the idea of oh but you've got enough money to like just casually like punt down a couple of grand to ensure that you get a playstation and then it's one of those things of Oh, okay, well, I get that you need it for your job, but you're then part of the problem of, like... the Stripping the, away the supply. The horrible supply problems that we're having at the moment, yeah. Not to mention as well, it seems like you're just throwing money to skip the queue, which just doesn't feel very fair. No, they've got the money to ensure that they can go get one, and as well, um, like, they've got the time, probably, to go, well, oh, this is for my job, so I'm going to sit here all day and wait for this one item to come up on a screen and immediately buy it. Whereas most mm-hmm. people don't but, have that privilege. But the thing of like just pre-ordering from like five different places and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and it's just, oh, God, like imagine just, like you know, if it translates to the real world, like you're queuing up to get into a place and someone just walks up to the front and just gives the guy at the front a couple hundred quid and walks straight in. Well, I've, like, I've seen that happen plenty of times. Yeah, and you just think, what a fucking bell end. Yeah. I've never once seen anything like that and not thought, what a bell end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And to clarify, like, for everyone listening, um, that, you're getting one because your girlfriend works for the company. That, that thing is like, <laughs> I have that in line of, well, Jenna works for the company, so, like, that opportunity is there. Of course, for us she gets one. Like, but... It's like the same thing about if you worked in a nightclub mm-hmm. and you get in first. It's like you've had it with Nando's, haven't you? People coming in to eat. Yeah. Because why does he get to sit first? Because he works here. Yeah. Like, I've skipped a giant, like, hour-long queue to come in and sit down before, and people are like, that's not fair. It's like, he fucking works AMH. Give him a break. Yeah, it's one of the perks of the job. But if you walk straight to the front of the queue and just give the person there 100 quid, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of more people would be a lot more pissed off about it. And I just... It's it's weird, and I don't know quite how to feel about it. Because, again, fair play to those people who've been in a position where they're able to do that. But to just see them, like, just so casually, be like, oh, yeah, I plunked down three grand to ensure that I got a PlayStation 5 first. Yeah, and I ended up with three and just gave two away. And um, like it's funny because I've actually been on the opposite end of that that queue thing of, yeah, I've had like an hour long queue at Nando's and been on the door taking the names and people tried that on me, and like oh I'll give you a tenner to let me go in first. And I'm like no because there's people standing here that will see that happen and be pissed off at me. And he's like and oh please mate I'll gi- I'll give you fifty quid, and I'm like no get to the back of the fucking queue. And it's like, it gets to a point it's what you think. If you got 50 quid, why don't you go somewhere nicer than Nando's? Yeah, like, he's willing to spend 50 quid to get past the queue to then spend, like, 20, 30 quid on his meal. Well, it's, that, um, on a really couple of meals. Quote, that really poignant quote about it of um, um, punishable by a fine should just be translated to um, legal for rich people. Yeah. Because the, you get to a point of wealth where there's no fine amount that is enough to actually discourage you from doing something no i used to um live right by a, a really nice big block of flats like on the roof front and 
Um, these were like the you know the expensive tower block, and there was a Range Rover that sat outside with a parking ticket every day, and just like the two something years that I lived there, I'd walk past and every day it had like a fresh parking ticket on there, like just without fail, and just for years it was. I'm going to park here illegally because I know I can fucking pay those tickets. Because he probably worked in like a super um, high-end job where he was earning tens of thousands of dollars a month and that doesn't matter to him. Yeah. Same thing happens with my uh, building block. There's a car that parked, a really nice fancy car that parks outside every single day mm-hmm. and it must get a ticket every other day. Yeah. But fuck it, yeah, I can afford it. It's like, fuck you, I get to park right in front of my building because I can afford to. And that's when you get that, um, I think it's Sweden, or one of the Scandinavian countries where they have, it's a system they want to try and implement elsewhere and you'll always see it getting thrown around of you are given, when you do when you speed, your fine is a percentage of your yearly income. Oh. And that's where you get that story of the biggest speeding fine ever issue was like several hundred thousand pounds because it was done by like a CEO or something like that and he didn't know that, that was a thing in the country. <laughs> So when he got a letter in the post and assumed it was a piss take, because it's like, oh, you've been fined like 200 grand for speeding. He's like, no, I haven't. And I remember seeing that game broken down. It's like, that's not fair. He goes, actually, that's the fairest possible solution because that means poor people don't get crippled by this fine. Yeah. And rich people don't like see it as just now a trivial expense. Everybody feels the sting of the law equally. That's the most equal way it could be. Exactly, because at the end of the day... um... Like, as as we pointed out, like, if you're getting 30 quid for speeding, but you're on a seven-figure salary, that means nothing. that means I can just speed everywhere and not give a shit. And speeding might be a bad example because, like, yeah, you can get points on your, your um, license, but if it's just, fuck like it. parking fines or driving through, like, a stop sign yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I can get a fine of a one. I don't give a shit. Like, right off. And as you said, like, yeah, it's just... It's just like again, legal for anyone that can pay it. And I, again, I wonder like how 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 long does it take someone to get to that point? Yeah. So with the exception of people who are like born into money where they don't really know the value of it, most people, I'd, I'd hope, like grow up um, knowing the value of money or at least having an idea. Because everyone, I think, has the same thing when they're a kid and you get birthday money, mm. and when you get like a ten pound note and it feels like the most amount of money in the world. Yeah, and you go yeah. to the shop and you buy sweets and you end up with like a huge pile of sweets and then get money back. Well, it's um, it's like that thing of like asking kids, what would you do with a thousand pounds? It's like, well, I'd like buy a helicopter or a house. Yeah, yeah and it's like to a kid, a thousand pound must feel like so much money unless, again, you are born into richness. Hmm. And like even when you're a student and stuff, and you get given your student loan, I'm not. Sure, I'm sure you like absolutely like lost your shit when you look at your bank account, and see four grand in there. And you're like, oh my god, like, I'm rich. This is the most amount of money I've ever fucking seen. And you take like a hundred pounds out, and it doesn't go down. And you're like, Ugh! and you go on, a, and then you go on a night out, and you end up with like eighty quid the next day. And you're like, oh my god, this is great. Yeah, and then you realise two months later, oh my god, this is meant to last me like four months. What am I meant to do? <laughs> But I do like uh, and how gradual that must be of going from that because it's not happened to me yet and I run a successful YouTube channel like so I'm wondering how much more successful do I have to be until I see baked beans for one pound twenty and beans and sausage for one pound twenty and go I can. I mean that. to be fair, Carl, like you pay me to be on a podcast every week that you don't make money from me, so is that throwing away money? I see it more as an investment. Yeah, because um, I don't get to make that money anyway. The business does. And I think maybe that's. Uh, 
maybe that's a, a small um, glimpse into that, where money that the business earns, so we can like pull back the curtain mm-hmm. on this. Um, I own a business, Big Wangs Incorporated Limited. It's a real company. That is what all my YouTube money goes into. And from that, I draw myself. I draw a wage for myself. Yes. And then I pay Lucas, Nisha, and Brad uh, for editing and for appearing in this podcast and various other things related to the channel. Mm-hmm. So just if we need like some Photoshop work, doing something like that, I'll always just chuck it Nisha and Brad's way. Yeah. And I guess when it comes to that, I'm happy to like throw away a couple hundred pounds here and there. Mm-hmm. So like, um, you probably can speak to this where, oh yeah, I need someone to edit in big air quotes this video. Yes. And we've I've done that a lot during the pandemic, so you guys have an excuse to send me an invoice for money to like, you know, tide you over during the pandemic. I mean, no, Carl, I have no idea what you're on about. Yeah, I hope the tax man will listen to this one. <laughs> Uh, and that's something I do, but I see that as that's money the business has. Yeah. And any money the business spends can be seen, or can be written off in like taxes and stuff, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I see that um, as a different pool of money that I don't really have access to. So maybe that's why I'm so keen to spend it. Yeah, because at the end of the day, um, provided the company obviously has the money, which like, you know, you make sure it does, Big does. you get the same amount of money regardless because you're taking yeah, a set I draw wage. the same wage yeah i draw the same wage regardless and um uh, maybe that's what these youtubers do maybe like they see it as just a business expense they see it as like an investment in themselves so they don't see it as like they don't see it in terms of money they see it in terms of the um the potential content and profit that it can generate i'm sure they do and it does work yeah maybe it's similar to like with um pro poker players yeah so i remember there's a article for cracks uh, dennis hong i think wrote it a guy I used to know when I, like when he wrote there, mm-hmm. where he talked about being a professional poker player for a bit. Oh, okay. And he talked about how you have to get to the point where you don't see money as money. Yeah. Because you can be at a table and you can be sat there with 20 grand in front of you and you can be playing for like 100 to $300 a pound. Mm-hmm. And you, if you start seeing that as money, you stop being able to make decisions related like that are best in the best interest of the hand because you have to see poker as or blackjack and stuff as math. Yeah. And you have to see it as you earn a set amount per hour if you are good enough and you can keep the math in mind. You can't think of it as, I've just lost 500 quid. You see it as, I'm 500 down, but I will be up if I continue to play the way that I'm playing or continue to like um, uh, play the odds and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's and the thing like, is, like, that's... I've um, casually just like played back blackjack a, a decent amount at casinos and mm-hmm. depending on the level of drunk I am is like normally how... Uh, how well I get off, but I think the way that I've always seen it and the, I guess, trick I've always used is take out X amount of money. So take out 50 quid for the night. And mm-hmm. that money is like my blackjack money for the night. I don't take out like any more money, like regardless of whether I um, lose it all or come out with a profit, like that 50 pound is has already gone to the blackjack table. Yeah, I've done some things when I've been to the casino and stuff, but just um, when you get to that, you keep you go up, go up a few levels from that, and it's where you are sat and you're gambling for thousands. And just the pro advice is, you just have to stop seeing it as money because it's not. When it gets to a certain point, it's not money anymore. Well, yeah, I've I've sat next to like people where I'm here, you know, with twenty pounds worth of chips left, and and they're casually throwing down twenty quid every hand. Well, even more like I've sat next to people who. Oh, you're out of money, Serge. You want to buy more chips, and they pull out like a wad of two thousand pounds, and just like yeah, like I've don't seen... even think about it. Just another envelope full of two thousand pounds comes out. Yeah, more chips. No, I've seen the one of um, watching a guy play three 
um, uh, tables at once in roulette, yeah. just throwing down and just randomly putting like twenty pound notes down at various points of the table, mm-hmm. and that's it. And it is crazy, and you have to start like getting to those ridiculous levels to normally make ridiculous amounts of money. Mm-hmm. So it's probably like for some people it is probably an addiction, but for others they like you know see it as that it's not money anymore. Yeah. I'm trying to generate proper. I just I do wonder like, how gradual that is, but there's a good point with the business because I don't see that as money because it's not money that I can touch. Well, at the end of the day, yeah, like if say you know a streamer is earning seventy grand a month, like you said, if they're paying themselves ten grand a month and there's sixty grand left in there, it's like, well, if I spend that sixty grand to make interesting stuff, that could be one hundred and twenty grand. Maybe, yeah. But I, like, with the business that I run, the only reason it even has money spare is because I'm so tight as it is. Yeah, exactly. So that still that still plays a role of um, the reason the channel has enough in reserve to do stuff like that is because I refuse to spend mm. it. And when I got like an office and stuff like that, I made sure I, I bought all the equipment. But that's why the Fact Fiend channel still has like very low production values. Yes. Because I saw it as, as, even this podcast, when we were advised to get better microphones, and I looked and went, well, the, the next step up from microphones we can get will be a jump of about five to six hundred pounds mm-hmm. times two because you need at least two microphones to record yep. uh, if we record remotely like we are now so that's a thousand pound investment and what's the and the actual jump in quality is going to be almost um incomprehensible to the majority of people same with the camera yeah where i was advised to get like a three four grand camera setup and lighting setup and i looked at it and went the the jumping quality is not going to be that great for this amount of money plus like the shitty low quality is part of our charm but yeah, it, it like it is part of the charm, and it is like the professionally unprofessional that you always uh, claim to be. But it's diminishing returns on any kind of technology. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like most about it, though, is that um, when it, as you said, I'm now recording in my bedroom again, <laughs> and it's just that thing. Oh, oh, for fuck's sake! After all this time, thinking, yeah, we've made it. I've got an office. I've got like people working for me, and then it's like back to the bedroom, getting humbled by the pandemic. The last thing is um, to clarify for anyone that doesn't understand, it is due to the pandemic, right? And not it's not a reaction to the the channel doing poorly or anything. No, no, the channel's actually doing like um, better than it ever has. It gets better every day, and this is the thing that pisses me off because I want to take a time off. <laughs> and you can probably confirm, like behind the scenes, I talk about how. I really, really want the channel to die. Yeah, yeah. So I can get a break because it's impossible for us to take a break at the way um, YouTube works. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, um, a lot of the gains that we will have made over, like, say, the year in terms of scheduling will just be diminished by taking a bit of a break for Christmas. Yeah, so um, for people wondering, like, uh, the explanation for this is that um, everyone who works for the channel. Like Luke Hurst, Nisha Brad, they get paid per video editor. Mm-hmm. And so the only way for them to keep editing videos is if we keep recording them. Which makes sense, yeah. It's like you can't like edit a video if it doesn't exist. Exactly, yeah. So I have to record a set amount of videos per month for there to just be a constant pool for you guys to choose from. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to help with that by raising the um, the base pay you get per video. So you can edit less, but still earn the same, if not a little bit more. Yeah. But even then, I still need to get out a... There still needs to be a pool of about 20, 30 videos per month mm-hmm. 
for everybody to edit and be able to like draw a living wage from the channel, which amounts to three to four videos being recorded per week, which means I have to write at least three to four videos per week just to maintain. Yeah. And then just you think, okay, well, if I want to take a week off, um, that means I've got to have at least a week's worth of content built up, which means for one week I've got to do twice as much. And if you guys wanted to like take a week off, that means you've got to edit twice as much for a week. It's just this whole thing of, yeah, the amount of extra effort we'd need to put in to take time off. That's the thing is, it's not so much time off as it is like, I guess, just rescheduling your time, like reallocating your time. Because, like, yeah, if I want one week off, I have to work twice as hard the week before. Which for me doesn't really feel worth it. And for me, I like doing it's, it that way sometimes. So it's it's down yeah, to personal preference of like sometimes I enjoy just crunching really hard for a couple of days so I can take some time off. Yeah, but uh, personally, I don't like that because I find that when I do something like that, I spend the first couple of days into my break mm. um, recovering from having to work twice as hard beforehand and then I spend the last couple of days worrying about how I'm going to catch back up. And that is like all down to different things of like it's down to your personality and your preferences and these are kind of like the pros and cons of working for yourself and being like contractors and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so the uh, the plan i have had since the inception of the channel is um, i'm just going to work until the channel dies especially more recently with um, the last big boost we got i decided i will work until the channel just stops making money Mm -hmm. and then when it stops to stops making money or stops um growing um, in terms of like our analytics and our audience reach and the um, money and views start to plateau, that's when I've got my plan. That is the break glass in terms of... Oh, sorry, break glass in case of accident, accident. Emergency. Emergency. So my break glass in case of emergency plan is that um, when that happens, uh, I want to keep a steady eye, a very keen eye on our analytics. And if um, the channel continues to plateau, that's fine. Mm-hmm. We'll just keep going as we go. But the moment it starts to dip, that's when I tell all you guys, well, look, right, six months. Yeah. That's it. we got six months. Six months, and I'm going to stop the channel. Because I think, we've talked before about how there's nothing more depressing than seeing, in, in regards to like content creation, when people's channel starts to slip or die, them desperately clinging to relevancy. Yeah, yeah. And just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. I don't want that to happen. And that's the weird thing is, like, for the most part, that's how it works. Of Like, you see people's numbers, like, lower and lower, and um, people start to engage less, and then you see, like, a massive shift in, I'm going to launch, like, eight new series of videos and see what works, and, like, please, yeah. dear God, like, don't let my YouTube channel die. People start to, like... Um just struggle and then th- I said throw shit at a wall to see what sticks which just comes across as desperate and it alienates the audience that you did have yeah. because now you're making different kinds of content or the content has shifted and I want to avoid that so when content and views starts to plateau to tell you guys you've got six months you can draw a full wage from the channel for six mm-hmm. months and we will start to what I'm going to and what I will do at that point is record a video just telling the audience this as well and say look we've had a good run We've had three years, it's going to take six months. From this point on, uh, we are no longer going to be editing videos properly. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to put any pictures in the background. We're going to do minimal editing for all our videos. But all the editors, Lucas, Brad, and Nisha, can all draw a full wage. So they can all charge me the full price they normally do, but they're going to reduce the editing time they do 
by like 50 to 80 percent yeah and like i presume your idea behind that is um like oh get that as way much money as you can get as much money as you can while putting as much time into other work as you possibly yes. can and then from that point on as well i'm also going to tell an audience look the channel's going to be probably dead in a couple of months because we can see it yeah there's things we could probably do to save it but um we don't want to come across as desperate we've done all we can to keep it going and i'm proud of what we've done so far and i think we've all got enough of a footing now to like go out on our own and from that point on i'll say to our audience look if you want to keep supporting the channel i'd be happy if you did that'd be great mm-hmm. what we're going to do now is you're seeing me sat on top of the bomb this is dr strange love <laughs> i am the guy on the bomb and i'm riding it down to the earth waving my cowboy hat and if you want to be here when we hit the floor i invite you to stay for the next six months <laughs> And during that six months, I'm going to take every sponsorship I am offered, regardless of how shit it is. I'm going to go back on all that. Because you know what? We've got six months left. Let's make as much money as we can and do what I've been doing with previous sponsors, which is split with you guys, and then reopen the Fact Fiend Patreon. Yeah. And just put a tier that is just like $1 or whatever the fuck, and it is just you get nothing, but it gets split four ways between everyone on the Mm -hmm. channel. And that's it. And then after that six months is up, I shake everybody's hand give you all like a, a payout from the channel from like my own pockets mm-hmm. and then I'll just continue to draw a wage from the channel because it'll probably you know like it'll continue to make a couple thousand dollars a month for a few just years just off like residuals and stuff yeah just off residuals and that's how I'll make my money and then just from that point on just upload random videos of me making cups of tea and stuff to the channel yeah and just like watch the dumpster fire occur if you want to yeah why not? Because I'm still going to get money from the residuals and just, like, say the channel's over and from now on I'm just going to upload random videos. And again, like, doing I, I do want... Living my life. I do want to clarify, like, uh, people a lot this of the time... This is not happening right now. Yeah, a lot of the time people hear this and see this kind of stuff on Twitter and go, oh, no, like, is something happening? It's like, no, we just like to talk about the future. Yeah, because it's almost like not having a plan is a really bad idea. And although the channel looks like it's just, um, you know, we're flying by the seat of our pants, this is something that's been communicated to everyone. And at the same time, I think that'd be really funny. <laughs> and it's why as well I'm pissed off the channel's not died yet and it keeps growing. It does. It like uh, it, oh. it is growing a lot considering like the last year, what year or so I've been on the channel. Yeah, and as well, considering that I don't care. Yeah, because I not remember well. joining and you being like, look, mate, I, I'm, I'm, you know, happy to work with you, blah, blah, blah. Like, and But I think we've kind of plateaued with the last, like, big growth. And then we've, like, got another 200-and-something thousand subscribers since. It's super nice. Well, and I thought that Donald Trump video was finally where people are going to start fucking off <laughs> and, let me have, and let me have a break. Because I got so many angry messages like, you just told 70 million people to not watch your videos. <laughs> Good luck with your dead channel. And it took three days for people to start unsubscribing, and now the numbers have started going back up again. That's the thing is, you might have told, in theory, 70 million people to fuck off. But out of those 70 million people, how many use YouTube and how many watch Fat Fiend? Uh, we, I, for anyone wondering, we lost about 7,000 um, subscribers in total. But because we gained three to 400 subscribers per day, um, overall, we lost 2,000. I think what already like pretty much back to where we were and subscribe account uh we're not now we are back we were where we are two weeks ago oh okay and uh, so we were at six thousand six hundred and seventy five thousand i think it was when the video went out 
and then we went down at the lowest to 668,000 ah. and now we are back up as of today to 669,000 so we've already started going back up because I thought we were really, at like really... 670 when the video went out uh, no it was like 675 and I'm really annoyed that, that it started going back up it's like god damn it <laughs> I want a day off because I want to record that video I want to record the alright guys we're done <laughs> this is it I want to record it like I say for, we're going to have six more months of factory videos mm. and after that that's it we're done and after that point the channel fucking dies and I don't give a shit anymore and I'm going to go take like a year yeah. off and just upload videos of me just in my house making cups of tea or going on holiday and stuff <laughs> and stuff like that saying yeah we're still going oh, Carl's going to become an Instagrammer I can't wait it's going to be great the way I worded it, I think, on stream the other day is every month the channel exists, I earn enough money to take three months off without working, lifting a finger. <laughs> so, so far I've saved up enough money to have like three years off without working. Yeah. And you know what? I'll, I'll take that. I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, but wouldn't you want to invest and like, you know, keep going until you're 50? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. But yeah, like I do like that mentality of just fuck it. I when it when it all goes down, like just come and watch it with me. Yeah, like ride this bomb with me because as I said, like, there's nothing like Carl wants to die with grace, basically. Just like it's better to fade away than burn out. But seeing channels that were once really big, mm. like when their time is up, and then they just like desperately cling to relevancy. And there are a few that have done it well um, and changed their yeah. like, you know, um, emphasis and changed like the the whatever they focus on, but. Mm-hmm. The few that have done it well, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that are like be thinking of thinking examples, of examples, but head, yeah. there's probably what like ten channels or more that were successful that absolutely just scrambled and died in a horrific way compared to the one that did it well. Yeah, or are still like um, trying to reclaim. Yes, never six. One we talk about is the is it Tomska? Yeah, yeah. That guy who way back in the day, like 10 years ago, was making skit videos. He made skit videos with his university pals and him and a couple of people from those videos got really big. Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering, Tom's going to think he makes the ASDF videos. That's like probably his best known film. Oh, okay, yeah. And he took a hiatus, I think, because of personal reasons. Yes. And then came back two or three years later, but still making five to six minute long skit videos but like by the time he came back, the entire landscape of content creation and YouTube in particular changed because um, when he left YouTube, people would happily sit through a six-minute video for one joke. Yeah. But he'd come back to a landscape of people who are now used to Vines. Well, it's what, like 15-second clips? If that, yeah, five-second, six-second. Um, basically what he did, condensed down to less than 10 seconds and obviously and like not done as well but when you can when you could watch 20 vines in the time you could watch one tomska episode yeah and it's like one tomska skit has like realistically they have like one or two jokes in them or it's one joke repeated for five mm. minutes and it's like oh i can see like 30 jokes and I remember distinctly he came back and he did a video in his first video. I mean, I'll track it down now because I'm trying to get the time. So we're not shitting on this guy. He's a very talented dude. Yeah, and that's the thing is like we're not saying that it's of poor quality or anything. It's just the landscape had changed and two to three years that he took off, like that is just almost an infinite amount of time on the internet. 
Yeah, and he's still like making millions. He's still getting millions of views per. Yeah, he's still very like successful um, compared to most shows. Yeah, like he's. So that's the thing. He's still making a lot of money, but he releases a lot less videos. But it's just that thing of he came back to a landscape where um, a, even a minute long video for the type of stuff that he was go- making, yeah, he's not going to make a thing. So I think it was it was the baby, right. That was the first. That's the one of the first things he made when he came back, and it was the joke was a baby cries and he kicks it. That's mm-hmm. it. What? It's like yeah, that's a joke, and it's a minute long video. Oh okay. Yeah. When that could be a ten second video. It could be a ten second vine. Yeah. yeah. And like fair enough, like the guys came back, and he's still getting a couple of million views for every video, but. The idea of like coming back to a landscape that's completely shifted, but not changing your content at mm-hmm. all, is really strange. And I just don't want to get to that point of, um, yeah, desperately like or try to do the exact same thing when it's clearly like that's not what um, uh, your audience wants anymore. Like the audience that was for that has moved on to something else. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Of like, I think Fat Fiend is different because um, every video is like based on a different thing but when the core premise of like a, a series i can't think of one off the top of my head but when the core premise actually yeah cinema sins for example um mm-hmm. of like, i used to watch them quite a lot um but when the core premise for the video is the exact same thing every time of just here is video we point out the wrong things and it's like and then it got really fucking old really it does fast, yeah and they st- and then they started making like 20, 30 minute long videos. I think the best example is Game Theory. I think it depends on Game Theory because like there's still occasional videos where, oh, that's something like different. I'll watch that. But when it became like, oh, we're going to do 18 videos on Five Nights at Freddy's because that's what popular. That's what killed it off for me. Yeah. And it's that thing of like it's the the core premise and the core like, like thrust behind the idea of the channel. Um, you can keep making the same content, but and which makes it really difficult to like like sh- um, uh, shift gears. It does, and I think that's why they've expanded to like film theory and food theory, and I I you know I I loved game theory and still enjoy the occasional episode, but. The issue with that is there's only so many game theories in like that are good and interesting. Exactly, yeah. And it gets to the point where, like you said, just the idea of the channel just stopped being interesting to you, so you just stop watching. Yeah. And it's like you said, you'll occasionally spot one and go, Oh yeah, and you'll watch one. But I might I might watch like one out of ten, whereas I used to watch every one that popped up. Every single one, and that's uh, um, something I'm keenly aware of happening to a lot of channels, and I'm fully expecting it to happen to mine because it's happened to every YouTube channel in existence. Mm-hmm. So to think that it won't happen to mine is naive, if not ridiculously arrogant. Yeah, yeah, of course. But as you said, when we talk about, oh yeah, there's plans for when the channel dies, and everyone involved with the channel will get a nice payout mm-hmm. for it. They'll get six months earning the same wage, and then a nice payout at the end. Yeah. And we're just going to go fucking ham and start getting experimental with the content. So who gives a shit? <laughs> because obviously, like, the audience that tunes in just for the regular content knows that that's the kind of thing we do. And um, weirdly, like, inside baseball, like, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but, like, um, we were talking today as, like, a group of, oh, are there silly things we could do over Christmas? Uh, because, like, views tend to be bad over Christmas. 
Um, yeah. So uh, any video we get put out on Christmas is going to basically be sent to die anyway. And it's one of those of, I don't want people listening to this, then a month later seeing like, we do weird shit for Christmas and be oh God, it's already happening. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's like, that's just a case of Christmas YouTube is like sad YouTube times. I know. Yeah, it's um, YouTube is really, really just dry around Christmas time. And you'll notice that even the most active of people like tend to go from, I, I will put up a video every single day to, oh, here's one this week. Yeah, have a good Christmas. Yeah, because there's no point, no. is there? It's weird. It's weird times, because, like... I mean, that's the thing, is you, we don't know what's going to happen this year, because I guess a lot of people are spending time with their family and not watching YouTube, whereas this year, they might not be able to spend time with their family. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting one to see what happens to YouTube this year. It is, then, but I'm fully expecting it to be the same as it is every year, which is just, it's not going to go well. So around Christmas, you always either do, like, a catch-up video or um, a best-of video. Yeah. Maybe. Because, uh, again, is it behind baseball? Is that the way the word you uh, use? I like inside baseball. Inside baseball here is, um, for Christmas, I always, in addition to being keenly aware that content around Christmas doesn't do mm-hmm. well, I'm aware that, yeah, I want like you guys to be able to have some time off, but you still need to edit a video to get paid. So something I've done for the last couple of years is um, record very easy to edit videos and then pay everybody money to edit, in air quotes, the mm-hmm. video. And then tell everybody, send me an invoice for editing the video of me stood there drinking a pint. And it might just be that we contributed, like, a, a clip or something. Yeah, and it's like, uh, what, cause one of the ideas I've got for this year is um, I'm just going to record, everyone record from their house. Hmm. Just saying, like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing this year. These are our plans. Um, here are my, here's the content that I make. Oh, okay, yeah. And then every, everyone just charged me the usual, like, um, uh, fee for that. So you're ostensibly being paid like up two hundred pounds just to record yourself saying "Merry Christmas." Because <laughs> you know what, I try and do those things, but Lucas, I'm such a prick. I love those ones. Like it, the the, the best ones. I don't know why more people don't do it. It amazes me, like because we've mentioned a few times before. Like, just very occasionally, one of us will just get a message of like, "Oh, <laughs> did you know that Carl's a massive asshole?" Says person on the internet. That got randomly bought by Carl. And it's like, oh, right, okay. Well, that's weird. I haven't noticed it over the 10 years I've known him, but thanks for letting me know. Yeah. I try. I try my best. Because I've got I've got all this success. And like, I know it's I know success is fleeting, but it's nice to share it with other people. Still can't get a fucking PS5, though. That's the thing. <laughs> I do wonder about doing that, though, because I probably could get one at a scalping price. And I think, but do, do don't I do it, care? though. I don't. I don't want to support that kind no, of thing. No, I really don't. And um, the only thing I support in terms of scalpers is finding ways to dick them over. Yes! So, like, you know what? We've got too serious for too long. It's like, you know, moving to this gang, this is great. Mm-hmm. Because, like, people fucking over scalpers will never not be Oh, no, it's fucking incredible. And um, the best one, or the one that I saw recently, was during the start of lockdown, was everyone's like, well, I want to get a Switch. Yeah, yeah. And then scalpers understood went, oh, I'm going to buy like 25 Switches. And that legendary hero on Twitter just got a bunch of 
those people who are selling switches to all meet you in the same car park. <laughs> that was a really good one. And they were all sending in threatening messages like, we've got your name, we're going to come find you. Like, did you really? And I think he called himself something like Sir Reginald Flockgardner <laughs> or something. Some stupid, obviously made up name. But the amount of people like, we've got your name, we're going to come track you down. It's like, do you really think I gave you my real name, you oh, idiot? Fuck my life. It's just, I really Don't. wanted to see that moment where there's like 10 guys holding switch boxes standing in a rainy car park somewhere going, uh... You want to buy a switch? Like... <laughs> Do you it's think so... we've been duped? Oh, God. The thing is, I like as what well, you know in their head. They sat there, well, let's give it another 20 minutes. <laughs> you know for a fact that's one. That's something like, that they In do. their head, it's just, oh, well, maybe this guy's buying a bunch of switches from all of us so that he can sell them on. Yeah, that must be so what it is, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I love shit like that. Like, because there is no, um, like, joy greater than the schadenfreude especially in today's climate mm. schadenfreude is so satisfying it's like um, the trump win oh yeah which i think a lot of pe- a lot of people misunderstood uh, but it's like people aren't happy that biden won oh sorry the trump lost people aren't happy that biden won they're happy that trump yeah. lost because we are reveling in how much it pisses <laughs> him off because it makes us so happy and so i'm going to try and track down for you right now we right, because um scalping happens with like most big major console releases don't they? Uh, yeah, and I will clarify that. I've had people mention uh, on Twitter and stuff like over the past couple of weeks of I can't believe scalpers are after the PlayStations and stuff. It's scalpers are everywhere after everything because it is an easy way to double your money. If you think about it, even if you sell it for like if like uh, with a PlayStation for example, let's say if, I, if you go out and you buy 10 PlayStations, that's 5 grand. Mhm. That sounds like a lot of money, but if you know that because it's one of the most hotly anticipated things for sale, that like, and people want it, you know, there are pretty, obviously people out there going to like you know do, be silly and buy a grand, yeah, yeah. going to double the price. But if you just put an extra fifty quid on there, an extra sixty quid, that is an easy five six hundred pounds you've made, guaranteed because you are virtually guaranteed to make. Oh money. yeah, yeah. In almost every single case, except for a few. And Lucas, speaking of which, look at the picture I just sent you right now. Oh, God. And just describe what you see. Uh, what even is that? That's a Wii U. Is that, that's not a Wii U, is it? No, that's... It's a Wii U. That looks like a Steam controller. Uh, I think... I don't know. I can't zoom in on Discord, I think. Oh, sorry, no, that's a fake image someone did for the... Um, uh, that's an edited image because this has become like an iconic image. Here's the real one. Ah, so. okay. Like that, that is the Switch job, but here's the real image. Ah, right, yeah. <laughs> just, just tell uh, everyone what it is. It is a woman sitting on like the back of her car with the uh, the boot open, the trunk for Americans, um, and it's just her smiling there with like a stack of boxes of Wii U's, and I presume yeah, like says, her username um, for verification purposes on the picture as well. Yeah, to, and she posted it saying, "Look, I've got like um, all all the Wii U's for of that are available in this location. If you want to buy a Wii U, message me." But Lucas, uh, just tell people about the Wii U. Uh, so the Wii U is, I mean, to me as an owner, it was a fine console, but it's not a popular <laughs> console. No, it was so unpopular that. Copies of Mario Kart 8 on the Switch 
which is a Wii U game that they ported to the Switch, has sold more copies than the Wii U console in its entire life um, cycle. So believe right now, like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Switch has sold like 27 million, which is over double the amount of the 13 million the console the Wii U sold. Yeah, and just the idea that people were like, obviously it's the new Nintendo console, people remember what happened with the Wii. That in their head, they thought, wow, the Wii was impossible to get hold of for months after release. The Wii U is going to be the same. And apparently loads of scalpers went out and spent thousands upon thousands of dollars buying dozens <laughs> and dozens of Wii U's to try and sell for a markup. And then no one wanted yeah. them. <laughs> and another one that I like is... Um, you remember, you must have heard stories about, like to bring it back to... Um, right at the start, we're talking about like, uh, Pokemon cards yeah. and stuff. Um, the speculators market around original Star Wars toys. Oh, yeah. And uh, people don't know, like, original Star Wars toys can sell for thousands and thousands of dollars if they're still in their box. But the reason that is, is because um, uh, uh, it was uh, George Lucas famously um, gave away his, like, director's fee for the complete control over the merchandising rights to Star Wars. Because at the time, when Star Wars was released, merchandising rights for films were seen as basically being worthless. Because films were seen as a commodity. You put them out in the cinema, you make all the money from the cinema sailings and then the cinema um, uh, tickets, and then you make money from like videotapes and stuff like that. But after that, that was it. Which was a fair point to have back then because no movie really had that much of a lasting impact on legacy. No, that's fair, but um, then start- um, they didn't have, like, I guess, the foresight that George Lucas did of. Well, fuck it then. I'm going to make this the most merchandisable movie in the entire fucking world. Yeah. Uh, there'd never been a Star Wars up to that point. And that's one of the reasons that Disney wanted to buy Star Wars. It's one of the reasons I had to spend so much on it because George Lucas owned Star Wars outright with the sole exception of, I think, the first mm-hmm. movie or the fourth movie, technically, um, which was partly owned by Fox, which I think it still is. Oh, really? Like they, I don't think they handed it over in the deal, which is like, um, it's one of those weird legal quirks where they still have to put the listing or whatever, but... That's besides the point. And even George Lucas, after getting the merchandising rights, um, couldn't convince anyone to actually make Star Wars merch. So even though he owned it outright, um, the, the the common thinking at the time was that merchandise for films does not make money. So when George Lucas asked a bunch of companies, do you want to make buy the Star Wars license yeah. to make Star Wars toys, no one bought it except for one company. I think it was Kenner Toys. And they made a couple of um, colouring books. Oh, right, okay. And that's about it. And some stickers. And then Star Wars came out, was the biggest shit ever to happen in the world. Um, one company, Kenner Toys, had the exclusive contract to make stuff and realised, fuck, this is the hottest thing in the world. We have the exclusive contract to make Star Wars toys. It's Christmas in three months. We've got no Star Wars yeah. toys. So they famously, um, or infamously, depending on how you look at it, made these. Let's need to find this. Where is it now? Um, so I specifically need to find it. Da, 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 da. There we go. So I'm going to get send you an image now, Lucas. That this is a real thing. And again, just describe it to the folks at home when you see it, with like to the best of your abilities. Um, I don't even like. Is that literally just? like piece of cardboard with images of characters from Star Wars on it. Yeah. That's what Kenner Toys um sold that Christmas. And that is 
quite literally a cardboard, a piece of cardboard with Star Wars characters on it, um, which wasn't a um, a toy. It was a voucher to get, or that guaranteed you um, the rights to buy a Star Wars toy when it first came out. Ah, so what I was going to say is like it looks as if it's a backdrop to then put all your figures against, and it's on like yeah. the lineup of figures you can buy. Yeah, so buying that, um, you could then, uh, you bought that, you got your standee, and then you got a voucher inside that you could go trade in for a Star Wars toy when they were available. And that's what they sold that Christmas. So millions of children that year literally got cardboard as their main present. Yeah. And then a couple of months later, they took it to the toy shop and then traded that in for a Star Wars toy, which, as you might imagine, they immediately opened and played with. And because of that, I... Oddly enough, this cardboard, this piece of cardboard, is one of the most collectible things about the film. Because what do you think all the kids did with it? Um, they cut out all the figures and played with them. Oh no! Or it got thrown away when they got the toys. I mean, uh, yeah, true. Because I was thinking, I didn't know what they'd yeah. do with that, but yeah, that makes sense. Of like, it's similar to you know when you got all of your like, your games and your figures in boxes. Like you throw away the box, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. And then when they got the figures themselves, obviously they got opened and played with. And as a result, like unopened Star Wars figures are ridiculously rare, which is why, and obviously there's this huge backstory behind them if they were like, you know, cobbled together so cheaply. It's this like, you know, piece of um, uh, merchandising history, piece of film Mm -hmm. history. So they're incredibly rare and that's why they command a premium. Fast forward 20, 30 years, you get to the prequel trilogy. By this point, people know that Star Wars is a huge marketing tool. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you think? And then, as well, like George Lucas is not a stupid man. Nope. What do you think they did when they were like making toys for that? Do you think they ran out? Do you think they didn't have enough? Do you think they put out cardboard? Uh, no, I assume they had like just fucking millions of things ready. Of course they did. But um, collectors and scalpers and stuff like that, they had in their mind, well, Star Wars toys from the original trilogy are worth a fortune. So surely in 20 years' time, ones for the prequel trilogy will also be worth a lot mm. of money, which is an idea that would have worked if 10 million other people didn't have the exact same idea. Yeah. And uh, you get to, like, so you fast forward another 20 years to um, the release of the sequel trilogy, mm. and um, there are stories of, like, Star Wars conventions and geek conventions, um, things like that where you can do this, where people are selling prequel trilogy toys that are unopened for less than they sold when they were brand new. <laughs> Because no one wants them. Yeah. Because there's millions of them. Because it's not rare anymore. Like, oh, you can buy... Like, Oh, it's really difficult to get a fucking Django Fett toy. No, it's not. It's like 20,000 of them. There's like a guy here selling like 40 of them. God. And the best bit about this is, despite this being so well known in like the collector's community, that prequel trilogy merch is useless, when you had the sequel trilogy released, people did the same fucking thing again. Oh, God, no. And bought all of them. And then, remember as well, the sequel trilogy was put out I was by about Disney. to say that, yeah. You put, you, the biggest company on the planet. And they obviously made way more than enough than they needed to. And they actually, according to like you know industry rumours, actively anticipated that people would buy it in bulk to try and mm-hmm. sell it. So they staggered the release of stuff. Because do they have like May the Fourth, where they do the um, the toy release or whatever the fuck uh, it is? May the Fourth, I think, is normally when they like, announce like trailers and do the convention and stuff like that. I believe. And then they have like, is it Force Thursday or something like that? There's a specific day where they release all. The oh, toys. I'm not sure. Uh, there's a, well, uh, 
And what they do is they stagger the release. So collectors and people who want to like, you know, just buy 20 Kylo Rens and put them in their cupboard for 10 years and hope they go to yeah. value, buy them. And then a couple of weeks later, they just release the other 10 million they made. <laughs> so kids can buy them for Christmas. Oh, that's great. And it's just incredible. People keep falling for it. And, oh God, like, it is weird to me, isn't it's like it? It's comics, like, isn't it? Yeah, the the mentality of these people going, oh, well, these are going to be like a super rare collectible one day. It's like, Disney bought Star Wars for $4 billion. They ain't going to make sure, like, well, they are going to make sure that they make their money back off shit like merch. Of course they are, yeah, but people only have in their head um, all those stories they have heard about original trilogy toys selling for a fortune, completely divorced from the context of, like, what we just talked about. There was so... The demand so far outstripped supply, the company making Star Wars toys had to sell pieces of cardboard. Well, and that's the thing is that, um, that mentality goes them. into figures even to this day, but people don't realise that, like... The reason is because, yeah, merchandising films wasn't popular, so there was a complete lack of supply and a massive demand. And they're not, and as well, there was no such thing as the collector's market back then, so children got their toys and played with them, which means that there is like just a complete lack of end, like, there's almost no unopened. Yeah, ones. because when I was a kid, and, like, I, you know, got for example, Beanie Babies, and my parents were like, oh. Um, you know, they they warned us like these things could be collectibles. Like you might want to keep them in good condition. And I didn't really care. I was just like they're you know they're teddies. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about that before, haven't we? Where it was entirely fueled by speculation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and today there are still people who think that Beanie Babies are worth a fortune, but they sell for. <laughs> but I like I, you know, as you said, the collectors market didn't exist by then, so there was no one telling their kids like oh your Star Wars toy might be worth something one day. The problem is, if that there was, then the Star Wars toys wouldn't be worth anything because people would have exactly, saved them. The yeah. only reason they're worth anything is because people didn't. But no one seems to get that when it comes to stuff like... And today. yeah, you mentioned um, right. oh, Funko yeah. Pop, but the only Comic. ones... Oh, Funko Pops are similar, yeah, where they... Oh, they're limited edition, they'll be worth £100 someday. Yeah. Not if everyone's saying It's like, it. the only ones that are worth anything... Other ones were like, oh, well, you had to be a, a specific comic con one year to get them, and it's just um, yeah. restricted supply on purpose. And that's artificial yeah. scarcity. And we talked earlier about Pokemon cards. It's like, oh, but why are Pokemon cards worth a lot of money? Because no one had the foresight to save them. And the reason they're worth so much money is because there is now a limited supply of mint booster packs left in existence, which means that the people who want them have to pay a premium. And then the more the because people there is a limited are out there supply doing it, the higher the price is going to get on the packs. And then, yeah. Which feeds into a speculator's market, which results in the like a form, like the earlier mentioned, just extortionate prices being charged and paid for for these things. Mm-hmm. Because it's, um, it, for, like, it's, it feeds itself, which is amazing. And you know what? People who can make money doing that, more power. Yeah, yeah. Like... But uh, like, you'll see it with everything. Like, I know, like, tangentially people who just... They are their houses look like GameStop because they've got like a hundred Funko Pops because they're convinced they're convinced that these things are going to pay off their mortgage someday. See, that's the thing. I have like hundreds of figures between like Amiibo and Funko Pops, but <laughs> did I keep one of those fucking boxes? Like, no. I like to have them out as decoration, like they were fucking intended. And there you go. It's people like you, Lucas, who are going to eventually, if those Funko Pops are going to be worth anything, it's only because of people with that mentality that that'll be the case. Because if everyone saves them, they're not worth it. Mm. So you'll see it a lot with the... I keep mentioning comic books. 
because I think that's what you're going to bring up, and that's because you're always just, and this is probably the stupidest example of it, because everybody listening to this has probably heard the thing, oh yeah, a f- the comic first featuring Spider-Man is worth, sells for like $800,000. Yeah, yeah. Or comic, first appearance of Superman sells for this mm-hmm. much, and every couple of years they will re-release those comics. They'll do like special re-releases of like Action Comics number one or the first Superman story and so on. And there are great interviews of people who run comic shops of people walking in with those special collector's edition comic books or the special first editions that they sold millions of yeah. copies of um, and saying, how much are we giving for this? And they go, a dollar? No, it's worth 10 grand. Goes, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I, I saw on eBay it sells for 10 grand and they say, well, yeah, that's if you've got the first edition, you've got a third, fourth, like fifth um, print yeah. run of it like from one year ago and that they can't get it through their head it's like no but it's the same one it's, it's not there's a difference and again that goes back to but like when head. I was talking about the uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards where it's like, you have to look at the serial code on there to know which edition of that card it is like you have to know what print of the comic it is to make sure the first print is the word like the valuable one and apparently it happens a lot with books as well it's like oh yeah a first edition run sells for a couple of grand and people go oh is that my mine's worth a lot because I bought mine from the shot when it first came out, and goes just because you bought it when it first came out doesn't mean it's a first yeah. edition. And then people, like, no, I've had it for ten years. It must be worth something. Like, for fuck's sake! And I, I actually um, <laughs> got a couple of the new Fifty Two first edition comics, like not the first print, just like the first um, like volume of the comic series. But it wasn't mm-hmm. for like the, oh, I'm going to sell this back. It was oh, this will be cool. Um, looking back in twenty years when this Batman run is on comic number 850 and then it's like, oh no, DC reset the universe two years later again. Again. It's like, oh, maybe it'll be worth something one day. But uh, I wouldn't bank on it, especially with comics where um, so much of the media um, is now just fueled by collectors. Like, comics exist because collectors want to just hold them. And if you've got hundreds of thousands of people doing that, like they, they can never increase in value because the only people who'd want them are the same people who already have them. It's a weird... Um, I personally, when it comes to collector's markets, I don't understand what like the end game of it all is because it's essentially people buying stuff to, to sell it to other sell people, it to other who, people to... who then want to gain a profit by to... selling it to other people. And I'm like, where does it end? We... Well, that's what we said. We just talked about the Pokemon thing. It's what my friend explained to me. He went, look, the, there are stories out there that he's selling for like £10,000. And there are clearly people out there who think that they can be one of the people who like, you know, makes that sale. So they're willing to take that risk. I'm mm-hmm. not. And he knows full well that he is making an investment. He doesn't see the Pokemon cards as things to collect. He sees them as something he will hold on to and then sell at a later date. He also like buys and sells gold. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, he has like five grand's worth mm-hmm. of gold because whenever he has like just a tracker on his phone and whenever the price goes low, he'll buy a little bit more gold. Fair enough. Just a little bit. And he has it in a safe in his house. Yeah. And he just says like one day, just the price will go up. And it, like, it, he says, I'm not going to sell it when it goes up. I'm going to wait because there will be a, a specific scenario and that is that I need money or I want to buy something like more yeah. expensive. And the price of gold will just so happen to have be like you know. An I mean, he's essentially uh, like low-level play in the stock markets, isn't he? Essentially, yeah. And but he says like something like gold, even though the value that people see in it is entirely artificial, yeah. it's 
people are always going to want to buy gold because you get those weirdos who think that when the world ends, money won't mean yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. Which is one of the stupidest like things, I think, ever. Where you have those like weird right-wing nut jobs and like, oh man, when the government fucks up, there'll be no value to money, so I buy gold. It's like, well, if you think money's valueless, why do you think gold's going to be worth mm-hmm. anything? Oh, because everyone knows how much gold's worth. No, gold has... It's the value is just as artificial as the value of money. Yeah, at the end of the day, like we've made up arbitrary values for how much everything is worth. Like if it comes to the apocalypse, who's to say? Uh, you know, as Fallout has pointed out as um, an example, like who's to say that gold would be any more worth than bottle caps are? Which is the weird thing about it, where uh, the same people who insist that. In, in one of those scenarios, money will be worthless. Think that people will ascribe any value to Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, at that point, uh, um, why would anyone, like, have any value in something like that instead of, you know, food or water? That would be what the valuables is, uh, are in that world. Because I really like those um, hoarding shows and those um, post-apocalyptic shows where people are like, oh, uh, Doomsday Preppers. Oh, things. yeah, with all the, like, the, oh, we're, we're. Like, the bunkers that they've prepped with loads of food and weapons and shit. Yeah. Like, we're preparing for the apocalypse. And in almost every single one of those, you'll have the person. In America, they collect, I think it's silver dollars or quarters. Ah, right, okay. And it's because there was a specific period in American history where quarters, I think... Um, had like a certain percentage of silver in them, and that percentage of silver um, is, um, or that that silver is worth more than the coin is. Right. So what people will do is they will go to the bank and they will trade hundreds of dollars in for quarters or whatever. That I've, I've heard to the be terminology silver dollar. I th- I'm, I'm not sure exactly, what, but I just know there's a, a specific coin minted during a certain period that is worth more. The base metals in it are worth more than the face right, of yeah. the coin. Um, however, it is also a rule in America, or it's a, it's a federal crime to melt down currency. Uh, yeah, I believe is it not over here as well to destroy money? The same is in most yeah in most countries it is a crime to deface or just otherwise destroy yeah. currency. And what these people do is they will hoard these coins, um, not spend them, not melt them down for cash because mm. that's a crime. You're not allowed to do that. But in the under the expectation that eventually the federal government will fail and therefore it is no longer a crime because there's no such thing as crime or law and order anymore. They will be able to melt down those coins to sell them, to sell the silver. Yeah, yeah. And just that idea has always cracked me the fuck up because they are simultaneously anticipating that law and order and just society itself will crumble to the point Money has no value, but people will still trade silver. <laughs> it's like, if you can't buy something with your dollars, the fuck makes you think the guy's going to take a handful of silver? Um, so I did just do a quick Google of, like, the silver dollar. Okay. And uh, what got literally just the first thing that came up on Google is saying that, yeah, like, find them. the silver dollar contains 0.773 troy ounces of pure silver, so it's worth more than the dollar that it actually is monetarily worth in America. Yeah, so people hoard them in the like just in case the like society crumbles and money's no longer worth anything, they can melt down that things into valuable silver. Well, as you say, like in that world, who the fuck is gonna give a shit about silver as well? 
Because at that point, if you're saying, well, yeah, people just see it as a... One of the, the arguments I saw that put me on my fucking ass is when the guy's explaining it. He's like, well, at this point, the dollar will have no value, but people will still see value in silver because it's a symbol of money. <laughs> I mean, oh, you mean like the dollar? And um, that's <laughs> what's that, even weirder. Like, that's what a dollar is. A it's fucking a dollar symbol is of not money, a, yeah. Yeah. Like if you look at any piece, if you get a piece of paper money out, folks, you'll see that your money isn't actually have any value. Ascri- it says, uh, if, I think on the pa- pound notes, it says on it, um, this uh, this entitles the bearer to the sum of 10 It's pounds. essentially every bit of paper money you have is an IOU to like a bank. Yeah, but because everyone understands that to be basically as good yes. as money... You don't really need to do that middle ground thing. But the, like when the guy's explaining, in a post-monetary society, the dollar will have no value. But silver will, because people see it as a symbol of what money represents. Because, so you mean like the dollar? <laughs> and I like, I, like do, I get it a little bit more with gold, because at least gold is a good fucking conductor of electricity and can be used for other things. Not to mention that it's historically like, you know, seen as a power sign yeah. of wealth. But if you're thinking about a society where just law and order itself has broken down to the point where people are scavenging for food and you need to live in your bunker with mm-hmm. your shotgun. The fuck do you think people are going to give a shit about? They want money and food. And that's why the best people on that Doomsday Prepper show I've ever seen is this couple. And every week they go to Costco and buy another bottle of vodka or whiskey. Wait, what? And they say in their house they have like a two to 3,000 litres of alcohol in addition to things like honey, sugar, sweets, and they, because their argument is, in a lot, in a like a post-apocalyptic society, money will have no value. Good, they've got yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but people will probably still want to barter mm-hmm. for things. But the things that we are storing are things that are you know deemed as not being essential, but they are luxury right, items. Yeah. And we reckon that alcohol will be hard to come by in the apocalypse, but people will still think of it as like you know something they are willing to trade, like maybe something like toilet paper and stuff for. Because it's alcohol and it's hard to get hold of. So all they do is hoard alcohol and they supplement their income, I remember, by selling lizards. <laughs> so they live in a house filled with lizards and whiskey. And that's just how they live. And I remember the, and the guy even said, like, I like lizards, so I've got a load of pets and I can drink the whiskey if I get bored. So that's preparing for the apocalypse the right way because they just have lizards and alcohol. I mean, to be fair, that's a much better way. Like, if... You're either going to hoard fucking silver dollars or alcohol. I think alcohol is going to be the one a lot more, more valuable in the fucking apocalypse. Yeah, and if that's just what cracks me up the most, though. Of like, dollars won't be worth anything, but silver will be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one that gets me is there was like the Doomsday Prepper episode where a guy's talking about. Um, I anticipate that, like, cause they it, before this each the setup for each episode is the person telling you what apocalyptic scenario they are mm. anticipating and this guy's anticipating Red Dawn oh wow his thing is that I think Red Dawn is going to happen and people don't know Red Dawn is a film where the Soviet Union um, invades the continental US and takes mm. it over so he's anticipating that that will happen and he says that every day um, he trains with a bow and arrow in case he has to fight back to take <laughs> back America on his own and he goes into the sewer with his pregnant girlfriend <laughs> And runs around the sewer with a bow and arrow in case they have to, like, you know, live in the sewers and fight back. And I remember, like, like Lucas, um, without me describing him, can you guess what this guy looks like? Um, 
and I'll tell you how correct you are. I mean... Bear in mind, he owns a bow and I, arrow. I could guess that he's probably, like, a white, overweight man with a beard. That is exactly yeah. what he looks like. And while he's talking, to, like, they, obviously they have these, like, talking head moments where he's explaining his thinking. And he says, I, 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 I look at the news and I see that a lot of countries don't like yes. America. And I anticipate that one day I will turn on the news and see that ISIS. Because I think it's, it's, it's singles like ISIS or some other terrorist group are going to take over the world. Right, yeah, yeah. And the, milita- and the military is going to fall to their numbers. At which point, people like me are going to have to take back <laughs> America. And I just, like, wish I had the confidence of a overweight guy who's running around the sewer with a bow and arrow <laughs> who thinks, in the event, a force capable of toppling the, the US entire US military and defeating like um, SEAL Team 6 <laughs> the people who killed Bin Laden and somehow take those guys out me die in the sewer with a bow and arrow could beat them oh god and, the, and one of the, my favourite tidbits from that episode is like his girlfriend is diabetic oh, okay and they're talking about it and says Without medicine, like without her diabetes medicine, my girlfriend would die in six weeks. Right. So one of the plans I have to have is that I would have to go and rob the pharmacy. Has he not? Has so he, he not stockpiled ar- any like, insulin or anything? They do, but they uh, they have a cell. Oh bag. right, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, they have a date by which it's their mm-hmm. safe to use, as a, as all medicine does. And- like in the episode where he talks and they ask him so how long do you think you could survive because they have a thing there where they like um, they take all of your preparations into account and say okay based on like, expert do you get a ranking see, uh, you get a ranking <laughs> out of 100 yes and they have an expert uh, experts decide how long you could conceivably survive for in your chosen apocalyptic scenario and right at the end they say conceivably with the supplies you've built up in your plans you could survive for three months however due to your girlfriend needing diabetes medicine you'd only last for three weeks oh, no. so his plan is to hide in the sewer and go steal diabetes medicine oh Jesus Christ and I just I find myself thinking in that situation I'd rather be fucking dead. Yeah. Like when they're talking about, I'd have to live in the sewers and like hunt for rats with a bow and arrow, and then start like having to relying on looting pharmacies every like few weeks or whatever. And when like that is, and what will happen if I do that? Oh, you will live for three more months than everybody else. It's like I'd rather be fucking dead. I'd rather enjoy exactly. life now, not make any preps, and just die three months earlier. Than and what's else. amazing to me is that the balls on a person to not only prepare for an apocalypse, but to prepare for one apocalypse. That's the favourite things they always like, they always say um, at the end to like so that I'm guessing so they don't get fucking yeah. sued. They have like a minor disclaimer in the last ten seconds saying. Experts believe that this scenario is highly <laughs> unlikely, and then they'll cut back one last time to the person in the episode as a talking head when they tell them this information. They go, well, experts can believe what they want. I'm still going to prepare. It's like fair enough, mate. That, that is such a fucking ballsy move of just. Well, I think an apocalypse is coming, so I'm going to prepare. But I'm going to only prepare for one scenario. <laughs> yeah, doomsday. I'm just going to have a look now. Doomsday prepper. I'm going to search for the suit <laughs> and see if I can find that episode. This sounds amazing. I'm not going to lie. Like, this sounds like the kind of awful TV I'm always in for. Oh, it's 
I highly recommend watching this TV show. Okay. I'm just trying to find, he's on Netflix right now. I'm just trying to find Where's the episode of the guy hides in the six? I think as well. Because with a lot of these shows, um, like people don't want... Or people's families are there. And sometimes they'll get their families involved. And like the the amount that they actually, like you know... Like, I guess the word is like mm. humour. The person in the episode varies. And in the case of that guy who lives in the sewer, his family owns a barbecue restaurant. And it shows him like stealing barbecue oh, food no. and hiding it underground. <laughs> like he hides it in the sewers. Oh, Jesus Christ. So he's like taking his family's barbecue. <laughs> the thing is, like, Lucas, like, at what point, like, do you think you find yourself actively planning to eat meat you hid in the sewer <laughs> and think this is a preferable outcome to just letting myself yeah. die? It's like, I understand it if it's like, look, um, I had money that I've invested in, I bought an underground bunker in like, the middle of a desert, and I've stocked it with food like and tins that will last years, and like a weapon and beds and like comfort foods and sort of like fair enough. But when it is, I will live a little bit longer by scavenging or barbecue food in the sewer. It's like it's not worth it, mate. I'd rather, I'd rather <laughs> it's fucking not worth die. It. I'd rather be those people who sell lizards. <laughs> like, you know what? At least so, uh, if all shit goes wrong for them. They can get wasted and go out with a bunch of lizards. That's the way to do it. So I've got like the uh, so we can end on Lucas like just Wikipedia weekend one last time. I want to read the synopses of a few episodes of Doomsday Preppers. Are you uh, okay? This with might that? end up being a full Wiki Weekends episode, Colin. I'm not gonna lie. It might have to. So um, episode one, 2012. Dennis McClung and family show their backyard food production system known as the Garden Pool. Lisa Bedford, the survival mom, takes urban preparation to a new level in preparing for financial collapse. The Cobbler and Hunt families combine forces in ensure, to ensure food production through an economic collapse. Oh, okay, okay. So the next episode, episode two, called Bullets, Lots of Bullets, Paul Range and his friends prepare for a polar shift in California. Well, whereas um, Christopher Newers demonstrates urban jungle survival skills in the event of a massive earthquake. <laughs> Oh, like, oh, what what have you prepared for the apocalypse? Oh, I've, like, just gotten a bunch of urban jungle skills in case earthquakes get so bad they destroy the entire fucking world. The one that I like is, I don't know if it's going to be listed here, but it was a person who, um, uh, they buy a canoe and they live in, like, New York. And their plan is, well, the roads are going to be full, so I'm just going to canoe down the fucking Brooklyn River. And it shows them at the end of the episode, like, in the middle of the fucking river, like, trying to paddle with, like, 50 bags of supplies on them. And then it's like, maybe I didn't think this through. Why did he not think to buy a boat at that point? Oh, man. There we go. Um, episode four, it's all going to hit the fan. Martin Colville lives on the road with his wife as a survival trucker and looks to prepare for an upcoming economic collapse. Donna Nash is prepared to quarantine all her family members and protect against a global pandemic. Oh, I bet she's still Carl. to Tesco there. I want to know what she's dealing with right now. The best bit is all these people, like most of them, that you can just tell they want yeah. to shoot someone. Because there's one of the guys, he goes, oh, I bought a missile silo. And you see him setting up a flamethrower in his missile silo. And you see him, like, he is one like, second away from ru- whipping his dick out and rubbing it, going, yeah, I'm going to get to fucking murder someone. I'm going to get to burn people like, alive, look at, yeah. 
who are who are like desperately searching for and food. Every single time I've ever seen, like I've not watched this show, but every time I've ever seen something where it's like, oh, this is a guy, like a guided tour of this person's doomsday bunker. There's just fucking guns everywhere, and it's yeah. like, yeah, okay, great. If other people have guns, but is it just going to be a bunch of preppers that all wanted to murder each other, all murdering each other? Yeah, it always reminds me of the film Shooter, which isn't very good, but there's a very poignant part of a show where they talk about um, a guy in it um, just killed a bunch of people. It's a former soldier, like, killed a bunch okay. of people because he was a sniper trained, like, for long-distance engagements. And they talk about how, yeah, um, every single mm. day, um, this guy trained on the yeah. range. He was one of the best sharpshooters mm-hmm. we had, and he's in a base in the middle of Iraq, training every day how to shoot yeah. his gun. And then he never got sent on mm-hmm. a mission. Never. So, And they talk about how, imagine every day, just like waiting to pull that trigger, and then you never get to do. And they talk about how just one day he snapped and shot a bunch oh. of people. Because like he'd been training for it for so long, he found out he was about to go home, and it gets called up by the military, and that's like the impetus for the plot. But just like I think about that so much when I imagine like these doomsday prepper people who just sit there actively hoping for the end of the world, so they have an excuse to go shoot. Yeah, somebody. and like I thought you were going a very different way with that because like, I know someone is in the British Army. Um, um, like I spoke to them a couple of years ago, and they were actually part of like. Um, training to be a sniper and it's like oh yeah like this you know this is what I'm specialising in like going into the sniping squad mm-hmm. and it's like oh have you like been sent on any missions or anything he's like no he's like oh right okay well how come you wanted to be a sniper he's like so I can be as far away from everything as possible and hopefully not get involved I was like yeah fair, fair point, enough yeah. he was just like yeah I'm hoping that me being far away means I'm a completely out of fucking danger but so many people on that show, I said, there's a guy who sets up a flamethrower and you see him going, yeah, I'd like to see someone get hit by this. Because you're actively, like, the people who would be used against are people searching for yep. food. And you're imagining, like, and getting your rocks off to the idea of burning And that's the thing, alive. is it's not like, oh, well, I've got a pistol in case like, someone gets aggressive with me. It's like, nah, man, I've got my flamethrower at the ready to burn everyone down. Oh, it's great. I love it. I highly recommend the show just because the people on it are fucking... Oh, yeah. It is always a case of, like, morbid curiosity to see what these people's minds are going through. But just like I said, the people who buy fucking lizards. I love it. Uh, They're fucking winning at life, Carl. All they do is buy lizards and alcohol. It's fucking... That's all I thought I want to live. (laughs) (laughs) I want to live in a fucking house surrounded by lizards and alcohol, Carl. But, like I told you, the guy who buys a canoe, <laughs> and he lives in a he lives in a flat. He's got a canoe. That's his plan. <laughs> oh. Here we go. Season three. Former army ranger Rodney Dial from Alaska obtains an armored personnel carrier called the War Machine, <laughs> and practices an offensive strategy called Rolling Thunder. Oh God. Like, think about that. Like, that's not 
planning for the apocalypse. That is, you are hoping that shit gets real so you can run people over in he your big robot. He wants some fucking like Dawn of the Dead shit going on. Like he's rolling around in war machine. Oh Jesus Christ! Steve works as a, as a, um, South Carolinian. David Appleton is a comedian, but the idea of a devastating earthquake is no joke. Because his job doesn't pay the bills, he dumps the dives to find supplies. Oh supplies. no! <laughs> and we just fucking die. Oh, <laughs> uh, imagine spending your entire life or your entire adult life. Dumpster diving to prepare for an apocalypse that never comes. Here it is. Um, if people want to know the episode, it's episode 28, Let Her Rip. And it's Mike Adams, a restaurant owner, is preparing himself and his family for a nationwide terrorist takeover. That's the one. And then that episode also has uh, Frida, a modern-day descendant of the Hatfield clan, and she wants to survive a civil uprising and martial law. And that's the one where they build a trebuchet that throws ninja stars... <laughs> And he throws them about 30 foot and they hit a cardboard cutout and it sticks like in the arm of the cardboard cutout. I'm like, yeah, no one's going to survive that. It's so good. A star trebuchet. It doesn't work. It's so shit. Oh, that's, oh, that broke me a little bit, Carl. I never thought of anything. The- I thought you might have said like, a trebuchet that throws fucking like dead bodies, or is it a little ninja stars? Of course. No, it throws ninja stars, and they show you him like cutting them out of metal in his house. <laughs> like Carl, uh, one thing that I want to know is like when these people are on these shows, like what are their partners like? Are their partners all in on it too? As I said, it's it flits between like. The amount of in on it people are varies, and sometimes like, I think the one where the guy is like planning for the terrorist attack, his girlfriend kind of puts up yeah. with it a little bit, where you see her like stumbling around the sewers with him, but she never really says anything. To right, him. yeah. But then you have ones like they are fucking all in and they believe it, and they're like, "Yeah, the world's like, going I, to end. I feel like, so here. bad for like the the person that's like, "I love you, I'm stuck with you, but you're a fucking knobhead." Like, why yeah. are we down in this sewer while I'm pregnant and you're just fucking rolling around putting meat in here and shooting arrows? Like, oh, God. Like, Lucas, Bruce Beach, a lifelong prepper, is focused on nuclear war and saving children in his 42 buses buried in the ground. Two buses. And he's like, the thing is, though, he says that he doesn't want to save his children. It just says children. Like, and I don't know if I trust a guy who's like me and some children are going to hide underground. Yeah, I was going to say buses. he doesn't want to save children, Carl. He wants to save like forty-two buses worth of them. <laughs> I'd like. What is your lifelong legacy, sir? Like, oh well, I buried forty-two buses underground to save children. It, it specifically in the case of a nuclear war. Yeah. Oh, uh, like what happens to that guy when Red Dawn actually happens and it's not nuclear war? Uh, it's gonna be worse, isn't it? And then he has to go into the sewer <laughs> and he has to look for diabetes. He has to hide diabetes. And then, like, the yeah, what happens to his forty-two buses? Like, he, he's screwed then, Carl. 
Oh, God. This sounds incredible. It's like Ryan Croft is prepping for a global financial crisis by cultivating alternate food sources like Earth. Oh, no. Oh, God. Brent prepares his children and grandchildren because he fears an electromagnetic pulse caused by nuclear devastation, possibly forever. Instead of bunkers, he has built a medieval castle. <laughs> oh, God. This was spun off into its own series called Doomsday Castle. Oh, no. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, Derek Price also fears an MMP, an EMP, and he has built a. You know, and he has um, locked himself inside of a privately owned amusement park. You bought an amusement park. This is this is how Dead Rising happened. This is do you know the psychopaths yeah. in Dead Rising. And you're like, why do you have a psychopathic clown? This is why. But the thing is, Carl, is like this kind of shit proves to me that. In the case of Dead Rising, it's like, oh, there's a bunch of psychopaths that went crazy because everyone turned into zombies in the mall. They weren't turned into psychopaths because of the zombies. They were just already psychopaths waiting for things to happen. Like, that's all it is. Is it, The real-life version is no one turned into a psychopath. They were just psychopaths waiting for shit to go down. Uh, oh, uh, Tyler Smith. So uh, there's an episode simply titled We Are the Marauders, which is about a bunch of people um, who talk about how in the event of their um, undisclosed um, like emergency and post-apocalypse, mm. they will just go steal what they want. And it says, Tyler Smith, the leader of the quote-unquote marauders featured in the episode, was arrested and booked on two counts of second-degree unlawful possessions of a, a yeah. firearm and was previously convicted as a child sex offender. And there we go. Yeah, so they're, they're the kind of people like you're going to win. I love as well the balls of going, like, these are my favourite ones. Like, they go on TV and say, I am the only one in my area smart enough to prepare for this. Anyway, here's where I'll mess up to them. And then my favourite bit is they always, this thing always gets brought up. Like, uh, because the experts will always say, well, you have minimal supplies, or you have enough supplies to last for six months. They'll always say some variation of, well, I didn't show you anything. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. There's more supplies hidden underground elsewhere, and there are people in the show who like just bury shit in their back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but go watch Doomsday Preppers. Or oh, buy lizards. It's the way. <laughs> buy thousands upon thousands of lizards. Oh god, that's how you do it. What else are you supposed to do, man? How are you supposed to survive? Buy lizards. Buy lizards and one liter of alcohol a week. I just love that. <laughs> I, just, I just fucking love that his wife has to get dragged around the fucking Oh, God, that's so bad. It's great. Go watch it. The trebuchet that fires. Is it on like Netflix or something? It's on Netflix. Apps like Lucas, I know what we're talking about next week. Please go watch <laughs> it. Let's talk about it. And then we'll talk about the boys as well. We need to talk about boys season two and do Yeah, God, practice. we still need to talk about boys season two. You know what, that's next episode. But, oh God, we went a bit long, so I just got excited <laughs> talking about that. Fucking hell. See you later, everyone.